Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast. I'm your host, Walter, and <laughs> sitting next to my sitting next to me, geographically west, is Griffith, and across <laughs> the Atlantic to my right is Azil. Thanks for joining me, guys. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, anytime. We're in the middle of a small break after Berserk has returned to us after a year long. But the next episode is due out May 23rd, and so we're kind of just killing time for now. We have another volume reread planned for Volume 8. Uh, honestly, you know, it's been a couple weeks since then, partly because this is such a big volume, and I kept meaning to devote more time to reading it. But of course I didn't. You know, real-life stuff gets in the way. So I gave it as much attention as I've given all the other volumes, which is, you know, not insignificant, but this is a pretty big volume, I think. This is one of the big turning points for the series, and so... It's extremely dense, and we'll get into it in a minute, but before we do that, just kind of general Berserk talk. Um, the next episode we just discussed is May 23rd. We're expecting a big talk between uh, Griffith and Rickert. That's what a lot of the talk uh, had circulated along on the forum uh, since that episode, but I posed the question, or rather I reposed the question, uh, What is what is going to be inside, or what is that big orb going to represent, do you think? The one in the palace you can see from almost every wide shot of Falconia. It's this dramatic, mysterious dome-type thing, kind of in the center or the rear center of the entire structure. Well, it's a bad Stephen King, you know, story. That's what it's going to be all about, inside the dome. Or Michael Crichton, it's the sphere. (laughs) Either one. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't really have, there's no clear indication of what it's going to be. You know, I, I kind of had guessed, given its position and its height, that it could be kind of like the exterior shell of Griffith's, you know, palace or his throne room. But Azil, you know, noted that it would be fucking insanely huge if that was the case. Uh, it would be, it, it's got to be more than just a room, you know, it's kind of like a whole, <laughs> You know, section of the entire palace, I'm assuming. I don't know. but He sees the entire universe from there, you know, stars and stuff like that. And it brings up a good point, though. I mean, it might not just be a simple, you know, oh, and and here's our atrium, you know. It could could have some kind of, like, astral or magical significance to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that actually sounds pretty good, what Az says, like some sort of astral observatory or something. I mean, where he can just sort of, you know, see anything he wants to see. I mean, we do see him conferring with spirits of the dead in episode 195, so it's not so far-fetched that he would have some kind of, you know, way to tap into that stuff. Maybe uh, if it was like that, Sonya's plugged in there. Oh, in yeah. The center totally. of it. Yeah. Wow, that's a it good could be It could be amplifying her power. Yeah, yeah it could man. be. Like, you know, Cerbero, you know, for yeah. Dr. Yeah. X. But, you know, yeah, the thing, there's one thing, though, is that we do see, like, clouds through it, you know, in the opening shot. So, uh, you right. know, say, I'm guessing it's not, like, something that's totally crazy or, you know, I mean, it does seem to be kind of transparent. So whatever's in there, I think, is not completely cut off from the real world, you know? Mm, yeah, that's true. But I guess, I mean, whether or not you can see through it, it's, it's more a matter of what, what's so significant about its placement and its size what is the function of that part of it? Yeah, know, regardless well, of the construction of it, so you know, my guess would be that it's central to the palace and to Falconia itself, and it's yeah, most definitely something that's you know like magical, and you know, it, it's you know, I don't know if it's a weapon or something to to see things, you know, beyond what is normally seeable or stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's pretty clearly something. I think it's very significant, especially because you know, like 
Murals made sure to show it in the distance, but not too close, like to keep it, uh, you know, a, a secret. And I'm actually, like I said before, I'm much more interested in seeing what's in there than to actually hear the talk between Griffiths and Rickert, even though I, I'm, of course, quite interested to see that talk. But yeah, I'm, you know, very interested in that secret. Well, you know. It would just be funny if nothing comes of it. And, you know, years later, you know, they <laughs> in an interview, Mira is like, you know, Oh, it's just a cool dome. I thought it would yeah. look nice <laughs> in the background. It's just a glass dome. You know, yeah. glass is nice. It looks mysterious. Nice yeah, to yeah. see the sun, like in my car. I was, you know? I was looking at Disney World, you know, in Florida, and I got inspired. <laughs> yeah, what's in Epcot? What's going to be in yeah. there? Like, nothing really that – it's not that big of a deal, guys. You're blowing it out of proportion. It's just Epcot. <laughs> Who gives a shit? Yeah. I mean, it's true. We could be blowing it out of proportion, but I don't know. It's it's It looks – Pretty uh, mysterious, at least yeah. from my perspective, anyway. I, I, I don't think we are bringing it out of proportion, honestly. It, it does seem like we've we've seen nothing of the actual, you know, palace, and except for that, you know. So I, I think it's meant to be something big. Well, I'm gonna blow it out of proportion. I'm gonna say that void and the other god hand are in there. Yeah, I'm just, oh, throwing, I'm just throwing that against the wall because you know, yeah. I wish, like, I'd love for what? them to come crashing out and you know, horrify people. Yes, it could be pretty cool, you know, like the what says the forbidden zone, you know, like don't go in there. Mm-hmm. You need a, a special paper, you know, like oh, another convocation. No, no, another one. I it's imagine actually... Void, you know, spilling out, but in completely unvoid-like fashion, where he just looks like a zombie, like lurching towards <laughs> people. <laughs> it's actually Void's helmet that he wears in the Cerebro, you know, parallel for Berserk. <laughs> Big ass brain. Um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll keep going. We got a lot to cover today. Uh, plenty of 335 speculation in the thread. If you guys want to jump in there on some more, I'm sure there's lots more to talk about. Um, today's topic is volume eight. Uh, once again, I want to start with a cover. It's kind of a weird cover. And actually I, I had never really sat down and thought about what it's trying to represent. Uh, when I, my, when I first started writing notes about it, I thought maybe it was Griffith considering Guts and how later on in like volume 10 when he's reflecting in the jail cell that, you know, Guts image in his mind had become, he'd become more important to him. Like he'd become a larger figure in his mind than he had realized until the duel. But actually as you, if, as I'm browsing through it, I, I, I saw a scene where Guts is considering Griffith. Uh, when Casca's mentioning that when he's, when he's surrounded by victory like that, he seems like he's so distant. And actually, Guts has a similar look on his face as he does on the cover here. So it could just be that, but I don't know. What did you guys think? It's kind of open-ended. It's you not know, really a, a right answer. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. To me, the way I've always pictured it is that Guts is somewhat in the shadow of Griffiths at that point still, mm. you know? Like, I don't know. That's what it evokes to me. Like, Griffiths is, you know, Guts is in his shadow, you know? Griffiths is uh, in full glory and Guts is, you know, like, yeah. Hmm, that's a good point, too, because given all the things that happen in this volume... Guts kind of doing his dirty work, the cleanup duty, you know, for for Griffith. Yeah, and makes sense still, in, the, in the shadows. You know, it's a it's a volume, you know, in which he actually breaks breaks out and you know leaves uh, the band of the Falcon. So I think you know it reflects on that, you know, the fact he's in his shadow and he just you know comes out and you know leaves at the end, you know, and that's actually what the you know the, the shot you know uh, inside, you know. You know, that just says volume eight. We mm-hmm. see guts walking out in the snow. And, you know, I think that those two shots are kind of, you know, you know, linked in that, you know, the cover. And then this one follows it. I don't know. 
Sure. It's also the tones and everything, you know, it's like a weirdly romantic kind of picture too, actually. Like, yeah. Just the red like, hues. Yeah. It's hard, yeah. To, it's hard to disregard the red hue. I agree. Yeah. So that's weird. I mean, one thing that stands out to me just from an artistic standpoint is, uh, is just the way Griffith's hair and his cape, you know, form this weird frame, you know, for the whole image. <coughs> and the way his hair is just sort of coming out, you know, it's very alive. It reminds me almost more of, you know, like Slan's hair when she's in, you know, when she's sort of developing and forming. He also kind of reminds me the way his cape is around, around, wrapped around him. It's like, uh, reminds me of the Bahirit. Like oh. those many shots of him hatching, you know, like uh, oh, Femto yeah, hatching yeah. out of it on volume 12. Mm. I mean, the other thing, yeah, is the hair. It's so wild looking, kind of dangerous looking. It's, it's, it's such a weird effect to, to pull off. Yeah, well, even the cape, it's like there's some kind of extremely strong wind, you know? So mm-hmm. even though the cape goes in a direction and the hair goes in the other, so. <laughs> yeah, sure. In the anyway. midst of a tornado, you know? Yeah, right. Sword mm. wind. It yeah. Is. Anyway, as I said when I started, this is this is a pivotal volume, and so I wanted to spend some time, a lot of time on it. Uh, it's one of my favorite volumes. It shows the Falcons at their peak, just before things start turning dark, and it's it's a big turning point for the series. Of course, you know everyone you know refers to the Eclipse as the turning point for these major cast, and it makes sense to say that. But this is where things really start spiraling, start snowballing into what uh, you know we get in the Eclipse. So. It's also one of those volumes, if you peek through it, just you're just realizing how Mirish is getting shit done in terms of storytelling. It's super dense. Just like highlighting each individual little – every little 10 pages, you get a memorable moment that – you know, and it, it could be a result of the fact that I've been reading this series so long. But so many of these individual panels in this particular volume are like etched into my head. Like uh, they're just super memorable, super iconic representations of these characters. I, I feel like almost every character in here of the main cast or the golden age cast gets a little moment to shine in here, uh, in, in various situations. Anyway, it's also got one of my favorite art styles, uh, drawing on what I just said about how every character has a moment to shine. It seems like he's, uh, Miro was focusing a lot on character expressions and expressing emotion more yeah. than in most volumes. I mean, because there's a lot of interplay between characters and, People are revealing their true feelings and things like that. There's a lot of that, and there's a lot of close-ups, a lot of really stylistic uh, per- depictions of people's faces. The ones that stick out to me are like Casca at Doldry after the victory. She has this uh, massive profile shot of her, yeah, you know, the ball. And it, one of my favorite ones is towards the end, right before the duel. There's one of Guts talking about why he's no good for Casca right now, and it's a very stylistic portrayal of Guts. It actually reminds me of uh, episode 174, right before Griffith is uh, revealed, uh, you know, Femto incarnated. He has a very stylistic portrayal of Guts' reaction to it, and it has this cross-hatching kind of technique that we see here as well. Very detailed art on it. Anyway, there's lots of stuff like that. And Casca in the snow, looking sidelong at Guts, and another very stylistic portrayal of her. It just... Mir is experimenting with these different techniques, and it's really interesting to see him do that. And I kind of wish he did it more. Uh, you know, he still does it from time to time, for sure. Uh, we just get so much of it in this volume that you could really tell he was just playing around with what was effective. Anyway, I guess we'll move on. Um, you know, it starts kind of the next page after Volume 7. There's no clear demarcation point between 7 and 8. 
other than the incidental volume change. You can just kind of turn the page from the end of seven and continue on with the action. Uh, last time we left off, uh, something had happened in the gut, the fight between Guts and Boscone. And if you were a new reader, you didn't quite know what it was, but now we see that it's Guts sore that had, you know, snapped in two as a result of the hundred man fight. So he's, uh, in a precarious situation. And what's interesting about this first, you know, true page of the volume is, you know, of course the Falcons are, uh, reacting badly to surprise to see guts on his knees, but it's also Griffith's reaction. You know, he's surprised as well. And he's mm. realizes the gravity of the situation, you know, and that, that's got a, it lends weight to the scene as well, because, you know, the leader is suddenly taking note. It's not just a riffraff, you know? Um, and immediately after that, after guts is assessing how much of a situation he's in, we get this cameo of Zod, who, you know, new reader would not know it's Zod yet. It's just a dramatic looking badass on a cliff, you know, surveying the, the landscape. And what I wanted to note was how far he actually is from the battle. Cause you can see the individual little, you know, soldiers along the river there and on the horizon. And he's miles and miles away. You know, there's no point in guessing how far it's, it's pretty damn he is far ridiculously away. far away. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Insanely far away. Even his horse looks badass. He, uh, what say? He seems to like you know overlooking things from a, a top of cliffs, you know. Yeah, Skull Knight's got a penchant for that too. Oh my <laughs> goodness! Maybe he got that. Maybe they're the same character. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> uh, tr- scene transition. Did you guys have more? Or I'm going really fast. I'm just going along with well, my the notes. first thing I noticed. And I don't mean to take us back too far with this. Is just when uh, when you see that his sword is broken, there isn't a lot of. Emphasis. It's sort of what you're saying where all the storytelling is in people's faces. You know, we see the, the blade spinning, but you don't even know what that is. We see all the character reactions. Yeah. And then you just sort of in the corner of the bottom panel, you can see that his sword is broken. But there isn't like a close-up of the sword with, you know, like action lines coming off it to let you know like, oh my god, you know, the sword is broken. It's just, you know, that's the way it is. And then you see the blade, you know, hit the ground. I just thought that was yeah. a neat little choice, and it sort of speaks to what you were saying. How this volume, especially, is all is all told on the characters' faces. It's true we don't see it snap necessarily, but I, I think the the establishing shot, the one page spread of the episode title, it, it gets it, the it, point across. But yeah, yeah, I, I know yeah. what you mean though. There's no, it, yeah, it being such a big deal, you'd think it'd be like a shot of it breaking or something like that. You know, I get what you're saying. It's also more dramatic, you know, the way it's done. You see it spinning, you see guts, yeah. you know, who's upside down, falling down, and then just bam, you know, there's a sword foreground, guts, and then both gone, you know, in the background. It's pretty, it's pretty cinematic, you know. I, I really like, you know, that, that shot actually. Yeah. The Adon fight, you know, I actually realized as I was reading through it, I don't think I've actually bothered to sit and actually read each of the individual, you know, exchanges between these two because I care so little for Adon and, and this whole, you know, fake threat that he really tried to, you know, impose on Casca. I just never took it seriously. Um, and again, in my reread, I didn't take it very seriously. But I think what's notable is that Casca's fighting against the influence of, you know, she's been drugged. Yeah. So. She's still be able to perform in this way, and she, you know, has this amazing maneuver where she launches herself in the air. And I love the uh, the the shot of her in motion. You know, her legs are extended in the air, and she's kind of blurred. The effect of that it's very cool. Yeah, and you know, there's you know one thing that's interesting is that you know, at this point, like you said, Adon is not you know like he's just being awful. He's not he's not even funny anymore. And Casca just dispatches him in seven pages. Like you know, it's like Mira's yeah. just closing down the thing. He's like, okay, this has gone on for long enough. 
and she just you know seven pages and boom he's dead you know and uh, it's back on to the you know the main you know story. Well, it's also worth noting that he's being horrible too. I mean, he's like talking about how he's going to torture her and you know, yeah. everything else. He's really you know he's already gl- gloating you know about his victory. I also like how throughout the entire thing, all these threats, all these you know empty threats, ultimately. He's goading and goading her on, and she doesn't say anything until she slices his head off, and then she just has a kind of one-liner, kind of like an Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. She may as well say something like that, you know? (laughs) But she never really responds to him. She doesn't engage with him on that level. She just slices his head, basically, you know? It's cool. I'm going to kill you last. (laughs) Yeah. Why, why, you know, why waste energy, you know, when... Sure. No, there's one thing we didn't mention, you know, when Guts, how to say, falls down everything, is that there's a shot, you know, where even, you know, Korkas is, you know, seems worried about him, you know? Yeah. I, I found that notable because, yeah, as we know, he's not a big fan of the guy, but, you know, in that shot, even him realizes that it's, you know, it's a bad situation for all involved, you know? Yeah, it's like right. the stakes are, it's not just Guts, it's like if if they lose him and they lose to Bosco in this fashion, then they're pretty much finished. Yeah, they're fucked. Yeah, so it's like it's. I think yeah, that does a good job of making it clear, Corcus of all people, or Carcass, that you know it's. Uh, this is the entire battle. Right. Yeah, it's very serious, and, and that there's a shot of Griffiths just under it where he's got that you know, you know Falcon look you know in his eyes you know like the same you know very intense, very concentrated you know like it leaves. But also that... yeah, I also it also looks concerned. Yeah. Oh sure, absolutely. Uh. Back to the Casca Adon thing, the only thing I wanted to leave it here was I was kind of considering, you know, why even include, why even bring Adon back for this fight? Uh, why even have this encounter? Why not, why not just have the infiltration go successfully? I mean, a number of things for, of course, it's for suspense reasons, because well, we have an interior battle and an exterior battle, of course, but I also think the reason they have this extended fight, why does, why does Mira choose to drag this fight on? Why not have a very straightforward thing? I mean, I, I think it's because, He's given Casca like an adversary, yeah. like a real someone to show off what she can do, what she's capable of. You know, she we haven't really seen her do that before. We've we've seen you know sidelong shots of her on battlefields, and we saw what she did on the hundred man battle. But this is different. This is a one on one, you know, against someone who's actually somewhat decent of a fighter. So, yeah, I think it's also way how to say, you know, like. She's used, you know, uh, as far as a plot element, you know, to, you know, uh, Jose bring guts and her together and such a thing, but she's weakened. And so she can't really fight her own against him. And, you know, they fall down everything and she's sick. And by having, you know, Adam Jose survive and everything, it shows that he's not actually, he's pretty good. You know, even though he's, you know, weak compared to guts or Boscon, he's still pretty good. And, you know, to show him that way and poison her and she still defeats him, it shows that, you know, she herself is quite formidable, you know, enough that, you know, this guy would be nothing to her, you know, then he poisons her, but even then she manages to, with a clever move, to finish him off. So I think it's a, a way for her to get her revenge, you know, to show, you know, like it's Jose, it's fitting, you know, it's like poetic justice. After everything, all the insults he's given her, you know, she is the one to kill him. So it's fitting. And at the same time, it so shows that she's, you know, as a fighter, she's quite formidable. Even when poisoned and everything, and that mm-hmm. the, the other situation was, you know, beyond like she was really unwell and not fit to fight. You know, it wasn't just like you know she just slightly wounded or something like that. Right. <clears throat> and then you know, after Adon's dispatched, it's pretty much a done deal for the interior of the castle, the infiltrate, the actual infiltration. So, you know, the battle was close to being won at this point. Um, 
back to Guts and Bosco and, you know, Guts is on his, you know, his down, but his men try to intervene to protect yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sort of an infast, fantastic, insane, you know, attack by uh, Bosco. Yeah, really. Yeah. It's a very With- Guts-like attack. He kicks out four guys in one, you know, swoop, you know, and he has these mad his eyes. eyes. His horse, yeah. his horse also yeah. has the mad eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the detail on the dismemberment on that two-page spread is actually really interesting. If we look at the lower right panel, like you can see parts of the armor coming off along with the blood spray. So it's kind of like a, a, a frozen moment in time for that particular person, you know. It's pretty interesting if you look at it. And, of course, then, uh, you know, Zod winds up with his fucking boss, you know, biceps yeah. here and just slings the blade, you know, uh, with precision right at Gut's feet. I love how Gut sees the glint of it in the sun, you know, at first, and then it just lands right in front of him in this dramatic <laughs> fashion. Uh, you know, Griffith, you know, worthlessly says, Gut's take up that sword. You should, you should <laughs> grab that at this, this moment. That would be smart if you were to do that. I guess it's notable like, for how quickly he, quickly he reacts. He's basically you know? like RoboCop where he had to, the CEO had to fire Dick Jones before he could shoot him. So <laughs> yeah. Griffith gave him the order that it was okay. Yeah. Just real quick I just about get the sword. killed? <laughs> just real quick about the sword, you know, it's it's derf is certainly a different sword than the one we see in volume twenty two, but you can kinda see some some similarities in terms of the style of sword that Zod uses. And it's kinda yeah. interesting to consider that, you know, the types of the di- the different types of swords that he uses. You know, always almost always massive, always always, you know, curved in some sort. Yeah. And they are big and curved and thick. Right. It's just neat that he has kind of a, like a, a predilection towards certain types of swords. It makes sense, of course, you know. Anyway, yeah. uh, Guts uh, parries uh, with Zod's sword. He uh, parries Boscone. And then I, I love the, the parry shot at the very bottom of the page. Just a very stylistic, kind of yeah. iconic kind of thing with the sparks flying. Yeah. You know, I also love the, the three shots of Guts reaching for the sword, grabbing it, and you see – is a, it has a little one of Bonscon's eye, you know, yeah. like as he goes down. I think that whole, you know, the whole way he goes down is very, very nice. Yeah. It's like as soon as he grabs the sword, he knows the the balance of the battle has suddenly completely changed, you know. But he's yeah. back way, of course, he has to. His timing is critical at that point. Yeah, he swings with all his might, I think. Yeah. Also, yeah, the the shot of him parrying and holding it and the sparks behind him, I think it goes to show just how sort of close it is. Yeah, like you know, it's a great little representation of their struggle. Yeah. Again, I want to underscore this. You know, even though Guts had his sword, you know, smashed mostly because he took out a hundred guys the previous night, still Boscon was able to put up a pretty decent fight against Guts before getting himself and his horse decapitated in one swoop. You know. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's not the previous night. Like I don't know if you said so seriously or not, but. I there's couldn't some, remember the, the time distance. It was yeah, it was there's some close time left. Yeah, well, it's the same. I I think it's just that he didn't get the sword repaired, you know, in the meantime. But uh, okay. yeah, Either well, way. don't don't forget, he also the doctor could not guarantee his life in battle. So <laughs> yeah, that's also another advantage, Boscone. <laughs> of course, yeah. And the the two page of Boscone getting decapitated. Also, I mean, yeah. it's it's also nice. But I love the other shot as well. The other panel associated with it, uh, with guts bearing down with the. The, yeah, the it's oceans. Cool. It's, it's almost really cool. Black Souls money, you know. Yeah, actually, the one that reminds me most of is Volume Thirteen, uh, just to the stylistic of it, stylistic parts of it, anyway. Um, 
And sorry, I'm jumping ahead. <clears throat> we see uh, the, the two heads kind of flying in the air, really solidifying that the battle has changed. And I love how Ginnon tries to turn it back around, but it, it's clear that the second part of the Falcons campaign is now underway. And that is basically take out the, the leader and take out the fortress. And suddenly, even though the other force is, you know, huge, they're intimidated and into retreating because they don't have any, you know, where to go, basically, to be yeah. sandwiched between these two forces. I, I like that, Jose. It, it shows how risky, you know, that maneuver is that, you know, the soldiers hesitate, you know, like the, the enemy soldiers. They are like, really? Have we lost and everything? And Guts even plays his part in boasting about it and everything. But, yeah, I think it shows, you know, their hesitation shows that it was a close call, you know, and that right. that boss can been there, that it surely wouldn't have been possible. So I find it interesting. Oh, certainly, yeah. Yeah, Boscone would have been able to rally them immediately and, you know, pretty much crush the remaining forces. So, there's also one thing when Guts, you know, uh, Jose, when he's, you know, boasting about that, saying, oh, you've lost, your general is dead, he's holding his shoulder, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it goes to show that, you know, the blow he blocked from Boscone, you know, with the sword was like, yeah, like it was really strong, you know, so, so much that it left an impact and he's holding his, you know, shoulder for that reason. At least that's how I've always interpreted it. I do somewhat feel bad for uh, for Ginnon here, just a little, because as he approaches wow. Griffith, you know, as he approaches Griffith, it's clear that he his love for him is genuine. You know, even though he's just <laughs> he's a disgusting old man, he actually thought that night meant something. You know, and he's he's you know he's looking for some kind of reciprocation here. Even now, even after all this conniving oh. nastiness. He's still looking for Griffith to reach out, you know, like embrace him or something. He's so deluded that he thought that was a possibility. And, you Come know, on. he's gross. And I think he's not even sincere. You know, he wanted Griffith as a boy slave or something like that. You know, I mean, I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, I think he could be deluded enough that he would believe that that was a genuine moment. Uh, that's what I got from this. But yeah, of course, he's gross. I mean, I, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would not take Ginnon into my bed. I don't know that. You're, you're a fan. Oh yeah, go ahead and say it. You love. Okay. <laughs> I just, uh, I guess. Just pitying him because he's so low in this instance. Yeah. You know, I mean, those... I, I always like taking examples where Miura d- didn't completely strip, undermine a character's <laughs> humanity, you know, didn't make him a 100% monster, maybe a 99% monster, you know, he left a little bit of humanity in there. You know, I, I have well, to Well, speaking comment, of so... a monster, you know, the, the monster here is that shot of Griffith's eyes, you know, that's all sort of gray, yeah. oh, gray totally. shaded. Yeah. And I actually think this one and the one a bit before where he just looks at him from on top of his horse, you know. They oh, he looks at him very snidely. That yeah, one. they remind him of the kind of shot, you know, Femto would, you know, the look Femto would give guts, you know. The kind of, you know, extreme, you know, it's like ice cold, you know. Mm-hmm. I love that, that panel. It's really cool. But also what he says to Ginnon here that, you know, it meant nothing to me, nothing at all. It actually, the way he says it, and it just brought to mind the Hill of Swords when he says that to, to Guts and Guts' reaction from that is similar to Ginnon's as well. Yeah. And there's, they're fundamentally different scenes. I just thought of it as, you know, being familiar with both scenes. You know. And of course, he turns to anger before he gets, you know, speared in the eye, so. Yeah, seeing Gun on his feet like that with his armor, you know, it actually reminds me a bit of Ganishka, you know, when Griffiths, mm. you know, Puts him on his knees, you know, just, you know, just, you know, what say, just show, showing up, you know, can, you know, put him on his knees. I, I think, I don't know if it's just the beard and the armor and the fact they are, you know, in that position, but it evokes, you know, that scene to me. <clears throat> that kind of, you know, the way he looks miserable, you know? 
Well, it's also Griffith's attitude. It's similar. It's almost exact same. You know, he's not, he, he's in control of the scene regardless of their status yeah. difference, you know? So, um, also, I mean, I love the, the paneling, uh, the way it zooms away from Ginnon's body, uh, to show yeah. that, you know, it just, just another corpse on the battlefield. Yeah, I love it that. Re- reduced to that. It's a very cool effect. And then the dust storm continues on, you know, high, you know, shrouding everything up. It's really cool. Yeah, it's like Ganon is like forgotten, you know, in the, right. the mist of time or something like that. Like tears in the rain. <laughs> time um, to die. <laughs> the scene with Guts and Casca here, you know, the, ex- the the glances they're exchanging, it's almost a romantic scene uh, in the way they're looking at each other. And it's also just a cool little camaraderie between them. Guts approaching, smiling with his big-ass sword. Yeah. And then he even says like, oh, it was a rough day, huh? You know? I it's, think uh, it shows how their relationship has changed, you know? Absolutely. Like, oh, very much. Just because in the, even before the, the... Go ahead, sorry. I was go just ahead. saying, even the look she gives him, you know, when she, he approaches, you know, it's a look, you know, that's very evocative, I would say. Totally. I mean, yeah. just I mean, considering before they set out in the campaign, how different they were, you know, and now how, how close they are now. It's dramatically yeah. different, for sure. They clearly have, like, a deep, intimate friendship at this point. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a, there's few words expressed, but again, it's all told on the face. Uh, I also love how Guts downplays the seriousness of the situation. It's just really cool. How his attitude towards the whole thing. And, uh, yeah. we actually started by talking about this scene, uh, because I was relating it to the cover. This exchange Casca has about how she starts crying when she sees Griffith with the kind of like God rays coming down to light the way yeah. for him. And she feels like Griffith's so far away. He's becoming, he becomes so distant whenever he's like that. Whenever he's basically acting the hero, as I, I took that anyway. And the way Guts regards him, it's, it's, it's as if seeing Griffith like that solidified his resolve. But that, that's, yeah. I'm, I'm reading into it a little yeah. bit. That's just how I took away from it. No, well, I, I mean, I, it's a double thing. It's both how he's seeing him down there, you know, in that context, but also the way, you know, that he has Casca's eye, I think. Because, you know, Guts has a lot of assumptions about, you know, those two. Yeah, the wrong assumptions. And that's what's interesting yeah. about this next page, actually, is, you know, he picks her up because she's weak. Uh, and he takes her off to go see Griffith because he thinks that's what she wants. There's a little comical, almost almost comical effect of like a star uh, on the, you know, coming down vertically. It's like she's swooning or, or she's dazzled by him for a moment. And... Though she says, yeah, the look on her face is it's clear that, sure, Griffith's the one that I like. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's the story. That's the story. I'm sticking to it, you know. But she's clearly, she's doubting how she feels at this point, you know. Yeah, I mean, she was clearly, I think she was happier just about the overall situation and their victory and, you know. But, yeah, yeah, Guts sort of was a little bit hurt. It kind of broke their moment, you know, together. That's true. I I didn't take note of that for sure. But yeah, he's Guts is trying to be the good guy here. He's trying to fulfill what he thinks Casca wants, but clearly her yeah. heart's been changing. So, well, he's playing. He's perfectly playing the role of the the lame nice guy, you know. That's yeah. you know getting yeah. finishing second, you know. But right. I'm okay with it. <laughs> he's trying to play that angle. And then right after that serious moment, you know, Mira drops in a panel where he fake. He makes it look like Guts is going to drop her. You know, have a little fake moment there. Totally a couple thing, is it not? I mean, yeah, whoop, stop that, you know. He's, a, yeah, he's running with her. Yeah, yeah I, think, little, I think I think he's just running. I don't think, you know, he's okay. like... 
Either, maybe it doesn't matter. Either he's running or fig dropping. It's just a comical little moment between them. Yeah, I see he also has, uh, they have the transition where he uh, somehow, even though he's like fake running, dropping, he still looks back and has that. Yeah. Like, it seems like a moment of pause, you know, to look at the sword, even yeah. though that would be inappropriate while running with her. But anyway, never noticed it that is, before. It is cool that Guts, you know, considers it that considers it could be Zod. Well, we have to yeah. assume that's who he's assuming it is, you know. And then he doubts that it was possible. You know, yeah, he's, just, it's interesting because his confirmation of it is him dismissing, you know, sort of the notion. And we yeah. we can assume what that notion is. Right. And then we have this dramatic two-page spread of Zod. Such a beautiful painstaking, shot of yeah. painstaking detail here. All the cross-hatching, all the detail. The look at the pool of, like, blood in the horse's eye. Just yeah. small detail like that. Totally unnecessary, ne- but awesome, you know. And, uh, you know, this kind of spread, you know, the, the darkness of the image, you know, it basically, it's like, you know, it's kind of nipping at the heels of their victory here that there is this, yeah. you know, this larger force at work. It's bigger and more powerful than it's than a humans. reminder. It's yeah. A reminder, so, and it's know. a, it's a literal representation about how they're not, you know, completely in control of all this too, as we'll come to find out about this is sort of arranged. Yeah. Right? Perfectly yeah, and, so, and Zod already knows, you know, like, you know, he, yeah. his, his commentary is clear, like, he knows, like, yeah, it's going to be soon, you know, like, he, he knows, you know, the higher they rise, only so that they fall down, you know, the more. <laughs> yeah, reading through this, just, you know, noting the, 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 the structural significance of dropping Zod in there at the end, it's not just so that he throws the sword. Like you say, it serves a thematic purpose in the story, and it's such a cool way to end this dramatic you know, human against human conflict where the, the Falcons are victorious and then dropping in this demon at the end, basically, that, as you say, the story is larger than that and there are darker things ahead, even though they're on this big victory lap at this, at this point. It's a cool – Yeah, it's a reminder cool that, you know, maybe the Beherit could have served, you know, as well, but, you know, Zod is, you know, how to say – it's a fitting, you know, it's fitting that he appears at the time. Yeah. Well, speaking of demons, I mean, uh, when they when we cut to the city here – Look at the the architecture. Yeah, <laughs> like it looks. I, like, is this is this Ganeshka's Wyndham? Like you know, yeah. he rebuilt it. You know, is this what Falcone is really going to look like? It's horrifying. I wrote down gargoyles. I wasn't sure if they were demons or gargoyles. Really, well, yeah, gar- looks like uh, looks like there, uh, you know, gargoyles are supposed to be like is that, it's just a name. You know, like originally it's just a name to you know how to say. All these, you know, structures are called like that, you know, no matter what they, what they represent, you know, you could have, you know, I don't know, a, a griffon, you know, uh, what to say, Basically it could you be could a gargoyle. Have like an orangutan be a gargoyle. You yeah, know, yeah, it, pretty but, much. Yeah, I don't no, have any, cool. so yeah, this stuff is fitting. Well, there's also no, griffons I mean, on the outside as well. You on see that, the, the little yeah. demon on that pillar is like actually one of the more horrifying things I've yeah. ever seen, the way its mouth is shaped. But it, it, like, good God, why would they have that? Actually, it reminds me a, a bit of uh, Grunbeld, you know? Hmm. I never... Really? Oh, yeah. you, mean the, you mean on top? The, yeah, the shield the... and everything, like, you know, the mouth of his shield, that kind of stuff, you know? Like the oh, one okay. In, the one is the bottom, you know, bottom got right. It. Got mm-hmm. it, got it. But... Uh, yeah, the yeah, Go ahead, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think what's cool about this shot is that it shows the talk of the conspirators before we see them. And yeah, that imagery, you know, like the gargoyles and stuff, I think it... Uh, 
how to say it adds to the atmosphere of you know I don't know why it's a conspiracy being you know plotted you know to sure. Griffith so it adds to the atmosphere of it. <clears throat> Let's also add, with the exception of the queen, that the conspirators are all quite ugly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They look like ghouls. Yeah, yeah you, I, I mentioned something about that as well. It's like you know. <clears throat> He's really undercutting these guys, you know, with by describing them, by showing them his fucking sweaty, Disgusting. unshaven buffoons in hoods in the dark. It, it's really undermines any, you know. They actually, they joke later on, or it's it's inserted as comedy anyway. When the queen intervenes and says that, you know, she's doing this for the country because Griffith's an upstart, which there's some truth to that, but clearly none of their individual motivations. That's, that's not the reason for their individual motivations. Yeah, and, they, and they even say, Oh yeah, it's for the country. That's why I'm doing this. Yeah, sure. That's I right. I mean, they, yeah. they literally represent an ugly sentiment, you know, yeah. against Griffith, you know, even though they're absolutely right that he is a, you know, a, a rebel, you know, like a, a radical that's going to overthrow the entire government if he got his chance. But, yeah. uh, yeah, that's not exactly. They don't actually think he's going to do that. They just don't like, you know, the fact that this commoner has come up. Yeah, it's, it, so, it has everything it has everything to do with his heritage. Yeah, and they uh, so therefore they look like extras from a Sergio Leone movie. I mean, they just oh, it's, it's gross all around. You know, we mentioned the gargoyle imagery, but it's also in the bottom of this one page. There's one of like a, a statue of a woman. Uh, looks like I mean, I don't know. Could be anything. Uh, well, she looks like coffin. she's dead. Yeah, it's like a. I think it's a it's a top lead of the coffin of a queen, you know. I was wondering if it was the queen as well. I wasn't quite sure. But well, like a queen, not a queen. You know? Yeah, you know. Sure. Like, oh sure. yeah, okay. You can. There's a long shot of them actually underneath uh, mm-hmm. some thresholds where you can see uh, that it is a coffin. Because at first I saw the it just looked like a statue, and I was like, they, I've never, I can't recall too many statues laying down, you know. Like, oh, I, I assumed it was because of the the way it's positioned. Yeah, but I mean. Sells- Several it's also just, I mean, the fact that we sh- we start with this demonic imagery, but I just like that they're plotting in a basically a mass grave or a grave area. You know, I, I just think it's it's appropriate I mean, to have these dark deeds plotted around wearing wearing their black conspirator cloaks. You know, yeah, they, yeah, they've all issued uh, the the glow of Foss's face and the way it's <laughs> contorted with this grin on his face after the queen comes, like he's so. Smugly satisfied of himself that he, yeah. you know, he basically, you know, ensnared the queen in this plot. You know, he's yeah, like, yeah. They've got like he's got big time backers. You know, he's got powerful friends. Yeah, and it shows how devious he is that he actually, how to say, he tricked her into it. You know, it's almost like that. You know, like he was behind it all, but you know, he's letting her take take the lead. It's pretty devious of him. I think it's a good just like, uh, just like yeah, Julius. You know, he basically goaded her. You know, yeah, of course. And, you know, I, I like, you know, what we see, you know, of the Queen's, you know, little story, you know. It's one of the things, it's one of the things Miroffen does where it's just these few pages, but it adds a lot of, a lot of death to that whole thing, you know, like the fact she was, you know, married, you know, it's a political marriage and, you know, everything like that. Her commentary of the King, the fact the previous Queen looks like Charlotte is a, he's a, you know, almost a carbon copy of her, you know, it's, you know, it's not foreshadowing, but, you know, like these things all relate to later events and, you know, the fact he didn't touch her or anything like that. It's pretty, you know, I don't know. I think I love this stuff, you know. I think it has a lot oh, of yeah. death in just, in just two pages. I love it when Mira kind of goes, uh, you know, above and beyond what's necessary to give this kind of complex background to a character that's going to die in a few pages, you know. Yeah. To explain her motivations and also just shows the depth of his storytelling, the depth of that he considers these characters 
for their motivations. And uh, oh yeah, the, the simple effectiveness of the imagery here, the fact that she's talking about that the, the king was de- you know, dedicated to his duty, didn't have time for to be a man with a woman, and she see, you see her outlined kind of like in a nightgown. You see her you know feminine yeah. body outlined by the the, the backlighting. It's just very effective of uh, of her character, and you know that she she even says herself she, she didn't think she was in love with this man. She just you know th- threw herself into a passionate affair, but. She realized after she, he was gone that he loved her or she loved him. So it's yeah. interesting, unnecessary, but I love that he did that, you know? What was the yeah. king doing every night? I mean, that he, you know, for the war effort, you know, I mean, to be so busy. Fucking <laughs> like, policy, man. Policy yeah. shit. Probably must, shit. You know, I think he was probably masturbating over portraits of his <laughs> deceased wife, you know, why train not to think of Charlotte, you know, but. What does a king do in the, in the, in a hundred years war? I guess he just keeps the peace as much as he can. You know, he doesn't really have – I can't imagine he has as much of a day job really. Well, you know, he'd have to manage a war effort while, yeah, trying to keep, you know, the populace happy, I guess. But the generals are going to do most of that work and they're not going to – the king's not going to have like mass strategy. He's going to go go kill Tudor, you know? Oh, no. I think, well, you know, like I don't know who it went, you know, in Berserk, but at the time, you know, the king was supposed to be leading the generals, you know, and to be a warrior himself, so – you know, we see him, you know, on the battlefield, you know, you know, uh, a few volumes earlier, and uh, yeah, I, I think you, I think he was heavily implicated in that kind of stuff, well, even I though, yeah, the most, he didn't command the armies. The most interesting thing about him is, up to this point, is he's sort of this paragon, you know, this sort of pure, you know, guy. He's even, you know, it's almost like he's, you know, not virginal, but I mean, like he doesn't have time for that because he's too busy doing what's good for the country, you know, where you yeah. know, very. You know, self-sacrificing. You know, and so and he, well, it's not so later also, that we get the right core. He seems to have been pretty devoted, actually. And you know, like yeah. even though he had these, you know, like he's later shown to be not so much a good guy. I think you know he was not a bad king. You know, overall, yeah, he was a good king. Well, I think the queen actually says something about why he was so devoted. It's like after the death of his first. Of the first queen, he basically threw himself into his work. Is essentially what it sounds like, out of out of grief, and well, then he married yeah. for political reasons, not for love, obviously. So he was just you know, absorbed in that. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's, that's a two thing. Like she's like, I think her commentary is both on the fact he doesn't like you know uh, how to say does you know he doesn't do his duty with her. You know, I mean, you know, as far as you know, satisfying her sexual needs, and she's like, you know. I think it's a commentary on boss. Um, maybe it's because he's too absorbed in his duty and he can't be a family man. But maybe it's also because, you know, of his grief over the death of his first wife, who and you know, his obsession with his daughter, as we learn later, yeah, be a factor. He was he was supposed to have loved, you know, his first wife a lot. So we can guess, you know, maybe you know, like since the two were married, you know, for political reasons, maybe he just didn't like her, you know. We'll we'll get to that part. And the next volume, Griff, what you just said, but I mean, my, my more recent interpretation of the king's mind at this point was that it wasn't an active, you know, love affair he had with his his daughter. It was something that Griffith planted, and then he immediately acted on once he realized it was truth in his head. You know, it wasn't well, something yeah. he'd been secretly pining for. Well, all I mean, along. Griffith was, you know, was sort of saying, you know, that's why. I mean, he was like calling him out on it. I don't think yeah. it was just, you know, being like Femto-esque and putting it in there, but he was like pointing out that, yeah. you know, the fact that like, yeah, you're clearly, you know, obsessed with your daughter, you know. 
I, I don't think I don't think you can say he planted it, but I think it's more like uh, how to say a lucky guess. You know, I say lucky because it seems pretty incredible he could guess that just from you know these things. But yeah, it's a, it's a guess that completely threw the king you know off. You know, so I, I think it's a, just a good guess from Griffiths and the king. After being called down on it, well, he just, you know, how to say, he was faced with his desires or something like that. Well, and also, I mean, just because he had known that she had been, you know, spoiled and everything, it like, it, it goes into a lot of other, you know, sort of nasty yeah. male, oh, yeah. you know, sentiments, yeah. you know. Like, so it, it draws well, on that. And that's another reason he probably acted, you know, when he did. Yeah, he, well, he might have, he might have actually never, you know, acted uh, on that if she. Yeah, had at been, all, if she had been, you know, he might have kept her, you know, like protected forever, you know, like this little virginal ideal. Yeah, or even, you know, maybe, you know, when we see earlier, we see the queen is, you know, talking about the fact Charlotte is, you know, in an age to be married, such a thing. So, you know, as things going on, you know, naturally, let's say, you know, he might have eventually, uh, you know, either, you know, married for political reason as well, for an alliance with Tudor, maybe, or something like yeah. that. And he would have given up on it. So, you know, it's possible, you know. So I think the thing is, all these events were precipitated. You know, because they were meant to be, because they were meant to achieve a goal, which is, you know, the fall of Griffiths and everything like that. The fall of the kings, the invasion by the Kushans and everything leading up to, to Fantasia. Well, I also wonder if he had opportunities to, you know, have political marriages for, but he's, you know, he's never done it. You know, that might be the flaw. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Griffiths Griff yeah, says what, so. Yeah. 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 It's what, he, like, it's, uh, how to say. Yeah. He points out that it could have, yeah, smoothed things over, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's actually, it's actually probably the most salient point in his yep, observation yep. is that you know after this long war the quickest way to end it is a marriage anyway um we'll move on to this big fanfare i i wrote down most faces mira has ever drawn question mark i don't know if that's true or not i don't know if it's false or not either though i mean fuck this is i don't a i don't think it faces. could be true <laughs> I feel no. like face, that fa fa faces though bodies yes like the the Britannus battlefield no doubt but faces, actually individual personalities being expressed in mm. all the different crowd members. It's a, it's a lot of different types yeah. and stuff. I, I can't I'm recall not, another instance of it. I'm not sure. And some of the shots were drawn by his assistants, I think. Sure. Uh, whether it was or not, I don't really care. It's just, you know, tons of different people's faces. I was just impressed by it. Yeah, and, I don't know. I, I think he's actually drawn more, you know, like if you mean in a single shot or anything like that, but you know, there's the shot where Sonia is talking to all the people on the battlefield, you know, before, <laughs> just before, you know, and you know, there's all the shots of the soldiers and everything. And there's a, you know, quite many shots on, on that one. So yeah, that's think, certainly that's, one of the top ones as well. No doubt. Yeah. I think it beats this. Okay. The, uh, I, I also like, you know, there's all these establishing shots. Uh, as we see, look through the town as people are coming towards or heading towards the, the Falcons as they come through the town. And it's all kind of, uh, serves as a backdrop for Griffith, the way the paneling works. He kind of superimposes all these little events in the city. I think that's a cool effect. Yeah. And, uh, you get something similar on the next page with guts at the bottom. I like to really like how he does, the, does this. You know, we see guts, uh, in a kind of a long shot and then guts, himself superimposes his own shot, kind of a zoom in kind of thing. I think that's really yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. And he and looks all just, little... you know, like this, you know, perfect version of the stalwart soldier coming yeah. back, you know, from yeah. war, you know. He's hyper Stoic. stern. 
But it's interesting yeah. because, you know, like when uh, Gaston calls him out and being so cold, you know, you know, I, I think at that point, Guts is thinking about, you know, what's to come. You know, he's already thinking yeah. about what's to come. The, the he's leaving and, yeah, this is yeah. it. Yeah, and, or, and also what the events of the night where, you know, Griffith is going to be, you know, say fake poison and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, he's preoccupied, clearly. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Yeah, but also only after um, uh, Gaston stops him, they have that nice shot of him sort of enjoying the moment finally. Yeah. There's also all these little character moments here, like Pippin's hugeness next to kids. It's really cute. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Pippin's on like a Pippin's because he's so huge. It looks like he's riding a donkey, but it's obviously yeah. like a horse, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I like Cascade's face. Yeah. Yeah. I like, you know, it kind of implies that, you know, she, first of all, she's not used to that kind of admiration, but I also took it that she's not super comfortable in the company of women like that, you know? It's just not no. her thing. Well, I mean, not. the best thing is the Hulk Hogan moves by Carl. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doing the, doing the ear maneuver. Oh, yeah. It's pretty amazing. You can almost yeah. hear it. Whomp, you know, it's really cool. There's a lot of things Carcass does in this volume that always make me laugh every time I reread them, but we'll get to those. And yeah, we already discussed Gaston's interaction with Guts. I like, I like that Guts has kind of like his sidekick, Gaston, you know, of all those little people in his, in his little raiding party, Gaston's like the, you know, the most constant yeah. face. It's nice that he has his own little subordinates. And you know, there's one thing we didn't mention, but when his guys, uh, you know, try to intercept, you know, Boscon as he's running for him, you know, you see Guts actually calling out to them not to do it, you know, that's right. Kind of yeah. It's very, you know, I think it just reflects on how he, it's, it's a proof that he has grown to care for his guys, you know? Yeah, I wish we'd mentioned that before. That's a good point. He, has a, he also has a very pained expression on his face after they're all killed. It's not just a you know a, an angry or a dire one. I mean, and it's also it's almost like he's not even angry at Bosco just because he's so you know I don't know. It's like in the heat of the battle, he's just hurt that his you know his friends yeah. and men got yeah. themselves killed. Yeah, and, and he's just just like you know. You know, Jose, when, when they go to first, you know, Mizad and, you know, he sees, you know, he's, you know, these guys are dead and there's Diros yeah. that comes out that's mangled, you know, crazily and he's just insane, you know, like he's insane because of that, you know, like, yeah, it's, 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 it's you know, it's interesting to see that, you know, how he grew to care about this guy and how they care about him enough to, you know, interpose themselves, you know, uh, between, you know, Boscon and him. Right. It's appropriate that we're having these reflections about these sub-characters now because this is kind of the height uh, for yeah, the relationships yeah. and everything before things go south and it's before Gus third. leaves, obviously, you know. So the yeah, dynamic completely changes. It's really the, the you know, pinnacle of their accomplishments, you know, along with the, the ball after that. It's really the top for them. Once I guess the Queen says, you know, <laughs> in a couple of pages, we'll be celebrating, you know, <laughs> like Griffith's death, you know, after the yeah. Yeah. party before everyone... Uh, Everyone gets yeah. killed, in essence. Foss, you know, he seems like he's got everything under control, and he, you know, keeps, you know, legions of secrets buried in his well, big, I like how all the conspirators dome. are all in the Queen's, like, sort of observing chamber here, going, how's it going, Queen? You know, I just yeah. she's got that fan, yeah. and I just imagine her going, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm she, looking she, forward to the murder. She, she <laughs> almost looks like some kind of, you know... You know, I don't know, she reminds me of a Chinese empress, you know, like that, with that, you know, how to say, sing in front of her mouth, you know, everything's that fun, you know. She's like, you know, I don't know, she looks properly evil. It's exactly like some, the tales of, you know, uh, political betrayal and that kind of stuff, you know. I don't know. 
It could also just be, I mean, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, but the way she's drawn her character, her facial features. Yeah. She mentioned, she mentions in her flashback that she's from a foreign country. She doesn't say which one, of course, but I think it's probably, you know, exemplified in her character, uh, the way she's drawn as well, that she looks exotic compared to everybody else, all the other women as well. She looks quite different, you know, her high eyebrows, her crazy arced, you know, eyes. She looks quite weird, different. Anyway, what I was joking about earlier about Foss's keeping secrets and then he just, you know, reads. Yeah, Yeah. and he completely loses his composure. You can see, read his entire emotions on his sleeve, you know, like. His eyes. (laughs) Oh, fuck! (laughs) Oh, it's no big deal. I I gotta go. uh, (laughs) Is everything okay? Oh, that's fine. That's fine. I'll be right back. You know, actually, like, how quickly he regains his composure. That's, you know, Yeah, I mean, it is good, impressive you know? considering his... He's probably being told, like, your daughter's going to be dead, you know? We know yeah. about your plan. <laughs> yeah. And he it's already... Just, uh, and I like how he already knows who it is, you know, just he's cursing him, basically. Yeah. Not yeah. my name yet. <laughs> it's an awesome way for the episode to end as well. The next page is just... Yeah, this, we get the shot you know, of Griffith. Victory yeah. pose. Victory lap of Griffith. <laughs> Also, the background. I love the scale of everything. It's so awesome. All the p- tiny people, you know, uh, rooftops everywhere. Really cool. We didn't mention Charlotte, but I, I find it funny how she's, you know, crazily, you know, how to say, getting herself ready and as pretty as she can be. and Changing outfits and trying yeah. to get his attention, even though he's, you know, among a crowd of thousands of people. Yeah. <laughs> Waving and everything and disappointed that he can't, you know, like he, he doesn't see her. Yeah. It's a, a, cute a little misstep penalty. in Griffith's, you know, courtship, you know, that he didn't make sure to look up and, you know, wave to her. <laughs> no, 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 no. He did the right thing. Keep her warm. Yeah, yeah he's or, keeping her, you know, yeah. giving her the cold shoulder a little. Yeah. yeah. All, he knew where all she's doing be. as planned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the ball, of course, we have this. Uh, I mean, I always love paying attention to the, all the little image uh, iconography we have, you know, the angels along the. The, yeah. the center of the ballroom, the the, the, the way the they're depicted the on there, it's supposed to be like a painting, but it also looks like the way spirits are drawn. So it's like there's yeah. like some horrible like ceremony yeah. going on above the party, you know. It's yeah. actually yeah. it's actually quite you know reminiscent of uh, the actual stuff you can see, like I don't know in Versailles on the ceilings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, so always you know angels on clouds, you know flying with cherubs and shit like that. So it's yeah. you know it's interesting. And we have this big sweeping kind of like almost, you know, what's the word? IMAX angle of the, of the Falcons, you know, entering the ballroom and all yeah. the statues in the background. I always paid I always try to pay attention to those things. I look, the, the statues look like, I mean, I don't know what it's supposed to be representing, you know, famous people in history. You know, I don't know. It is one guy with a dog in the top left corner. Kind of weird. They look almost like, you know, saints or maybe, yeah, you know, I, I, I would say gods, you know, if, if they were, you know, like, you know, Greek or Roman gods or anything like that. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems more like saints. There's ones that's holding, you know, uh, uh, tipping, you know, balance or something like that. And yeah, I don't know. Fr- from the way there's one with a trident. <laughs> yeah. And right next to him, there's one in almost Greco Roman armor, almost behind the, the logo of the, and the title of the episode yeah. as well. Well, you know, it could be like, conceivably, it could be a stuff they've pillaged or, you know, a heritage from the, the past, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. 
I always Let's figured go. it was just cultural, you know, part of their history, part of their lineage and things like that. Yeah, and you can see paintings well, I mean, it borrows of... from, you know, many different, you know, sort of traditions and ideas, you know, where we've got, you know, a woman with a baby, like you said, the someone with a trident looks like Poseidon. There's someone holding, like, scales, like, you know, just very justice-like. Yeah. yeah. It is, either way, it's a lot of attention to detail and just and totally a background element, never focused on again, you know, just really cool. And she goes, and they they talk about it as well about how uh, their surroundings are just so. I mean, this is where all the tax dollars are going. Was the joke that they made? Yeah, everything so exquisite, you know. I actually like that Rickert is saying, you know, he's commenting on how, you know, it's like a, you know, dream place and stuff like that. And it makes me think, you know, what he's going to think when he goes into the biggest palace, you know, in episode oh, yeah. you know, uh, 3 and 35, you know. Good point. What's also interesting is, uh, it's interesting to see Guts. I think this is the only time we really see him dressed up ever in the whole series. Yeah. In this ridiculously, like, I mean, it looks like an armored coat. It's got so many layers, you know, things going on. Yeah, I mean, th- this being the most dressed up we've ever seen, I mean, it's not even that dressed up, you know? Yeah, he's not yeah. very formal. That being said, when you look at, you know, Pippin or even, you know, Korkas, you know, and I mean, Korkas hat is, you know, pretty, you know. He oh, looks yeah. like a pilgrim, yeah. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, I like Guts' look as well. After they're all, you know, basically taking in the surrounding, being so happy, and Guts' look, you know, knows what's ahead, and he look, he's looking at Griffith as he's considering that. Of course, yeah. Griffith hasn't said anything, which we'll focus on later on. Yeah, he's still being very, you know, Jose, solemn, you know, or sullen, even. Yeah. Uh, Carcass's uh, reactions a couple times. All these things always make me laugh. You know, they're. They're being approached by women, and you think, like, oh, he must be very strong. And he says, oh, well, it's true. <laughs> this is a big know. comical look on his mouth. He's just hes just totally taking advantage of the attention and diving right in with everyone's expectations. Well, doesn't, you know, you know I, 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 I also like to say something the, about Guts, about, like, I taught him everything he knows. Oh, yeah, yeah. He has it as, like, a throwaway yeah. line, you know. <laughs> and I like the looks uh, they all have, you know, when they see Jose, the girls, you know, rushing to Griffiths and Griffiths playing it, you know, ultra cool, you know, and they're like, yeah. you know, wow, <laughs> you know, all of yeah. them, you know, you know, Carcass has a tear and even Rickert is impressed, you know, it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the trio of losers as well, you know, always, you know, scorning Griffiths, you know, successes and I'm pretty yeah, sure the guy in the middle, uh, we see him na- nowadays, we've seen him recently. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. And there's a tiger general there, it looks like, yeah. too. Yeah. The white tiger is there. They're all there. I didn't know if the white tiger guy, we've seen him recently. I know the big-ass beard guy we've seen before, but I didn't recognize yeah. him. Man, Raban's beard is just fucking fantastic. I want that beard. That's not fair. He must have somebody taking care of that shit. That's really nice. <laughs> well, he's got the cool, like, it's a mustache-beard combination, but without them being oh, yeah. so separated... That it it looks like you know like sort of white trashy like he lo- he actually looks very like gentlemanly though at the same time very tough balance he's a he's a lord to the end you know <laughs> yeah natural class badass. well it's it's, it's, it's it, go ahead I was going to say it's funny to see that they actually have a, he, him and Owen have a pretty good foresight on uh, yeah. the danger you know Griffiths is encountering and how his life is going to be you know in a time of peace you know it's, it's pretty interesting <laughs> it's to the to point see. that when you know Griffith collapses from the poison they ought to look at each other and go holy shit did you you know what the hell yeah. <laughs> we, we, we were just talking earlier right I mean <laughs> <laughs> well I mean it just shows that he's very astute and you know he's not yeah. one of the millions of morons that populate the country you know he's he knows what's he knows what's ahead 
what the potential is for someone like Griffith, even though there's not a war anymore. That's a good observation. Well, I also think it's interesting, as you can see in their clothes, as we've observed before, I don't know why I'm obsessing on this at the moment, but just that, uh, you know, Raban is a little bit more, you know, he, he, he rides out into the field, and it seems that Owen is more in the court. And if you look at their outfits, it's kind of represented, you know, Raban is sort of dressed more like... Uh, Guts. Like yeah, like guts, you know exactly. <laughs> you know more like the hawks, you know. Whereas Owen does look a little like a little a lot more fancy or a lot more like a lord. So I, I just little... thought it was interesting the the consistency in uh, Mura's artwork, you know. Yeah. You know the warriors are dressed in sort of a certain way. It's a slight difference, but I I totally yeah. you're right you're totally right. And he, that being he, said, uh, you know, I I think you know Owen's outfit kind of resembles Griffiths. So, you know, it's yeah. just, even though he has less of a coat and more of a cape on, you know. No, but I think Griffith also, you know, is sort of, I mean, he actually, he's he's titled and, you know, he is a little bit more lordly himself even. Even though, yeah, he yeah. does, he obviously is like now the, like the premier, you know, leader in their army. Uh, Guts escapes the, the crowd for a moment because I would do the same thing in this instance. And uh, I, I just like the way that the panels are shown here with... Casca uh, being surrounded by guys and just it's four little small panels drawn almost yeah. comically as she excuses herself, runs, right. uh, but she she's ducking her head as well. And what's what's neat is you know Gus doesn't know who it is at first. Yeah, you know, he's like taken yeah. aback by this, and then he sees he her. First notices this woman charging him like a bull. <laughs> their heads yeah, around. yeah. He looks so young in those those panels. It's just because it's comically drawn, but it's it's cute the way it's done. And then he sees her, and you know, of course, he's stunned by. Yeah. Seeing, you know, chicky nose in a dress. So her beauty, you know. Yeah, he's seeing her in a totally different way. Obviously, you know, he's never uh, considered her this way or in a, in a dress before. So maybe certain aspects of her are being, you know, shown yeah. that he's never it is seen. Striking too. That first shot of her in the dress, she does look like someone else, basically. I mean, because he yeah. doesn't. Mira doesn't go out of his way to try to really doll her up there. I mean, it's just it just looks like Casca in a dress, and it's it's weird, <laughs> you know, at first blush. It's like whoa. Yeah, and yeah. we can actually see that uh, she blushes a bit just as he looks at her, you know. Mm-hmm. So we can see that, you know, like there's some, you know, some chemistry going on. I find I find it pretty adorable, adorable actually. These, you know, their antics in in this. And know, then he practice. he tries to get a one-liner in there on her, and she she re- <laughs> that, she recalibrates their relationship by elbowing him in the chin and having him bite his tongue. Yeah. We can even <laughs> yeah. see some some you know women laughing in the background, you know. <laughs> Sure, and Judo's reaction is also very interesting. It's like you know he doesn't oh, miss yeah. a beat on this. You know he you know, sees I, them. Actually, off. yeah, as he sees her dragging him outside, and you know my, my thoughts on that was you know, and I'm sorry to all the fans of that was like, uh, what a loser, you know. Like, you know <laughs> the guy just looking at, damn it, you know. I was like, uh, you know, you know, it's too know, bad Guts for is, him, but she's she's dragging guts outside to his Trans Am. You know, they got their red <laughs> cups, and <laughs> yeah. Judo knows like he's. Yeah, he's a loser. He's, he's got no chance. He's just no, putting it's like up a, more tape like on John, his glasses, you know. It's a, it's it's a, a John Hughes, running it's, back. <laughs> like, it's a John Hughes movie. It's like the end of Pretty in Pink. You know, they're playing that song, and <laughs> Ducky's looking on at uh, Andy McDowell. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Actually, didn't write many notes for this scene, even though I really like it. Um, uh, Guts and Casket is having a genuine moment, and, and really, you know, there's some time that happens between the events now and the events before the duel. But this is their last big scene together, really. Their last big exchange together before he heads out, before he leaves. 
And I kind of wonder if it was like a kind of a goodbye of sorts for him. <laughs> To her. You know, I'm I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure he meant that to be because you know after that we don't see it. But you know, there's like three weeks that you know elapsed. Yeah, so is. I think they had other you know stuff. But yeah, it's a pretty cool moment. And you know, I I like that Gertz is he's very nice with her. You know, he actually compliments her and stuff like that. And he's actually but he's, very cool here too. You know, he's got the one leg up. You know, I mean, he's he looks very cool and comfortable with her at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know. Yeah, like I said, he just compliments her and it's because he means it. But at the same time, yeah. he encourages her to go ask Griffiths for a dance, you know, because he still, you know, thinks, like, he doesn't even enter his mind that... Yeah, he doesn't she, get it. Yeah, that, you know, he and her could be together, you know, so it's it's pretty funny. And uh, actually, as she is leaving, you know, it's like he thinks for a moment, should he share what's about to happen with her? Yeah. yeah. Because his his next thought yeah. is... Uh, isn't this a little cruel, Griffith? Yeah, I right think it's actually, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, I think he's, uh, yeah, it seems like he's thinking about, you know, telling her and they, uh, of course, get on to, you know, his, you know, status with the Hawks. And that's when it's interrupted by the king and he knows that, uh, but well, yeah, he does have that, he does have that moment where he's, go- it seems like he's going to tell her. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, he just sort of. Says never well, mind. I mean, that's what he the, says. Th- the thing is, he wouldn't even necessarily have to tell with the explicit. Just like, you know, if something happens tonight, don't worry or something like that. It could be something like that. It wouldn't have to be explicit. Yeah. It wouldn't necessarily yeah. have to break the trust. But either way, he doesn't step out of bounds. He doesn't disobey the orders. Yeah. Tell anybody, so. Yeah. But yeah, you can tell he he disapproves of it. Right. Of course. And it's yeah. funny that when he thinks of Griffiths in relation to that, it's Griffiths surrounded by you know women. Yeah, the you know? girls. Yeah, in yeah, he's to- not even around his own men or anything. He's yeah, soaking it in. Yeah, well, right. I mean, yeah, and it's like a double, you know, double yeah. hurt where it's like, you know, that would hurt Casco, but it also hurts guts because you know he thinks that uh, he's you know, uncaring. He, yeah, that he can't have Casca because of that, and Griffin doesn't even care. The king gives this elaborate speech that could probably be summarized in about two sentences, but it lasts like three pages. <laughs> well, actually, uh, you know, I, I, I like the speech of the king. I, I like his, you know, I think, yeah, like you said, it's pretty eloquent and I think it's a pretty good speech. So, you know, like even though the king's not, you know, a very popular character or anything like that, but, you know, I always liked his speech, actually, you know. I thought it was, you know, proper for <clears throat> the events and everything. Yeah, yeah it makes very sense. Very complimentary have... and grateful. That it, also it makes one- sense for him to speech, uh, give a speech like this at the end of the war, at the end of a hundred years war, to talk about why that was able to happen, you know, to give the Falcons their moment. I understand it. I'm just saying for the, for the purposes of this episode, I don't really have a lot to say about his speech because it's, yeah. Well, there's one thing that's interesting is that he mentions how many, you know, members, uh, Band of the Falcon currently has. Oh, know? did he? I don't, I must have missed that. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, well, if you just flip through the pages, anyway, it says there, there are 1,000. Okay. If you cool. look, it's a shot where you see Griffiths and there's, you know, Rickard, Judo, you know, Corcas and, uh, and Oh, people. yeah. And, uh, before the battle, you know, uh, there's a general who says, you know, there were 5,000. Mm. So I guess right. it gives us, uh, you know, a good estimation of how many men were lost, you know, during the battle for Dodre. You know? Hmm. <clears throat> I yeah. wish I had caught that number. I would have given that a little more thought. Well, that's it. So really, it makes the sacrifice, you know, seem like not that big a deal when you think about it statistically. Well, yeah. It's, it's like just... he's only sacrificing like a couple of hundred men, really, that's left over, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
It's just those that aren't dead yet. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's you know, like it shows it's a big victory, but it didn't come without consequences. Yeah. Right. And uh, what I liked about Mira forgot that number <laughs> from before the five thousand, and just you know wanted to make it more impressive after the fact. White would, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think he would have forgotten that from just you know like I don't know six months ago, six months yeah. before. That that does seem it just seemed weird, but it is also a thing where it's like if there was four thousand members of the Hawks on that battlefield, you think they would have been like it wouldn't have been such a happy victory at the end, you know, more of a pyrrhic victory. Yeah. I like that once the news spreads and everyone's looking around cheering, you know, Griffith looks immediately to Guts uh, to share that moment with. He's looking, searching the crowd for his eye, and then he sees him through the window. And yeah, they have it turns a back. Smile. They give each he other actually, dopey looks. You know, what's funny is Griffith doesn't actually look very, you know, particularly happy at first. He's more like melancholy, yeah. you know. Well, until he sees guts, and then he's yeah, able to share that moment. I think he turns back moment. and he has this, you know, really, you know, bright green. When Guts is himself, he has got some kind of cheesy smile on. Guts is kind of like his touchstone at this point in terms of how he should feel. You know, he asks Guts, am I cruel? Are the things that I have to do cruel? And in here, he doesn't even enjoy the moment until he sees Guts smiling as well. Or at least he shares it with Guts first, and then he smiles, you know? Because, I mean, yeah, it makes sense because of, you know, the thoughts Guts was having on their way into town about how Griffith was the only one who, you know, really saw it coming. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole victory. And so he's, and you know, Guts knows that and Griffith knows he knows that. So for them, it's more personal where you just can look over at him and it's, you know, we did it. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, by at this point, he's really become like, he's his co conspirator and, you know, so yeah. plot and everything like that. So, you know, is there more, you know, like he's really become his right hand man, you know, like beyond what Casca, you know, ever was. Sure. <laughs> Another thing struck me about this reading, um, that thematically, I think it makes a lot of sense the way this is all done in terms of guts being outside with the doors closed, looking through windows at what's happening on the inside here. The Griffith's big moment, you know, yeah, guts, guts always being apart from the group, always. And yes, particularly not being showered with the glory, you know, he's yeah. seeing it happen, you know, he's technically a part of it, but he doesn't feel it. Oh yeah, I mean, it's super integral to everything that happened and, and yeah. everything that is about to happen as well. But he's out in the cold and they're inside in the warmth of the of the room. I just thought that was appropriate. Yeah. Um, really cool, well done imagery. And we go head first into the actual assassination attempt, which, you know, of course, the poison has been switched out for a essentially a sleeping agent, basically. Uh, but they don't know it at this point, of course, the conspirators. Foss is playing it cool. Man. <laughs> Yeah, Foss, Foss looks like an apple that just got washed. He's just all wet, <laughs> yeah. gross. Yeah, uh, the dramatic shots. Uh, I, I like that the the assassin. You know, there's no hesitation. There's no like. He even had kind of coyly grins when he when he hands him the goblet. You know, what a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, um, slimy bastard. Uh, you know, Griffith immediately drops the the cup, and there's this. Well- you know, there's, I think there's one thing that's important to note is that we see Casca rushing to get to Griffiths, you know, you know, through this and, you know, he falls down as she gets, you know, in oh, front yeah. of him, you know. Good point. I hadn't noticed that. I'm just going to skip through that part. Yeah. I also like the framing of that shot of the actual, the confirmation that Griffith has fallen mm-hmm. over. You know, it looks like it's very kind of 
yeah. like a horror scene almost, you know? Yeah, I mean, his legs are it. sort of twisted around funny, you know? I mean, he's obviously yeah. Yeah. like, yeah, he's not really full, full, so. Yeah, he's really fallen down with that, you know, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I find it extra cruel, you know, for Casca because she's rushing to get him. It's like, it's almost like a movie scene, you know, like yeah. she's blocked by the people who cheer her and everything she tries to get and she arrives just to see him fall down. My, my question great. about the whole assassination, if I can go back a second, is the big plan was really just to have the guy in, in plain sight dump the poison into the goblet <laughs> as he's walking it over to grip. They couldn't do that in the kitchen or something. I think that's like, mostly for our benefit. The, I, the I know, yeah. That was the what? big plan. Okay, have yeah. the guy put poison in his drink right in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> He, he, like he does, what, you know. Like, what if oh, you know, Raven is like, hey, what are you doing? Like, uh-oh, <laughs> the whole plot's ruined. Do we really need, like, ten guys to plan this? <laughs> he, he does, you know, like, you know, hide it with some kind of napkin. But, yeah, it's not really very discreet. <laughs> yeah. There's this moment where, um, you know, it's this big uproar after Griffith has fallen over. It looks like uh, Charlotte swoons, basically. I, I, can't, yeah. I couldn't quite tell what the sound was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she just like falls she, over. You know? Yeah, she has some kind. She feels, you know, uh, you know, unwell or something like that. You know. Yeah. Okay. And just and so we f- can have the shot of the queen in between her and the king enjoying it, like you know, her pain. Yeah. The, the king. I mean, the king immediately turns around, like he's shocked or, or surprised by her reaction. I think that. Yeah, was and the soldiers yeah. rush to her as well. The guards, you know. But you're right, Griffith. That is funny. The queen's reaction, kind of framed between the king and the and the. She and is the like, she is photobombing <laughs> the panel to yeah. you know laugh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> she is photobombing. That's a good point. You know, and Foss looks worried about the whole thing because he knows what's ahead, of course. And we have guts on cleanup duty, slicing off bullhead over here. You know, I, I, also- I like I like how the scene goes from you know Casca uh, holding Griffith, the close up. Oh yeah. Then the shot of the window, and then. The fact it's empty outside and guts Where's is not. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. It's, like, it's very much like you know our hero is already on the move. You know. Yeah, and then uh, it cuts to him wearing his fucking hat. You know, which is uh, the best looking hat I've ever seen. It's pretty awesome. Again, <laughs> this is his special, uh, yeah, his special identity hiding hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know the guy. You know the guy doesn't even see it coming. You know, like he sees something and his head is already cut. I love his expression. It's just really funny. That he even bothered to draw the guy's expression, looking dumbfounded, or before he gets decapitated, his head bounces along the ground, and the, the horse yeah, continues running. Huh? You know, yeah. Of course, the shot of him holding the hat on with the wind blowing and the blood—that's really cool with his cape. Yeah. What was his? Uh, I mean, I, I, this is a rhetorical question mostly. What was? Um, what was the purpose of a, of killing the assassin? Obviously, he's tying up loose ends. But who's loose ends at this point? Well, you know, I think it's just everybody's loose ends, you know, so that it remains a mystery and uh, nobody can speak. And maybe also, you know, I don't know, maybe for revenge or something like that. I, I think it's because, you know, since the king, the queen and, and, you know, some guys are going to be killed all together, you know, if the guy says, you know, there was a plot yeah. to assassinate Griffiths, right. you understand? So that way it can seem like it was a general plot to get all of them at, at once, you know, instead of something more specific, so... Sure. Like, yeah, just tying just, up every every loose end. Like Griffith is a is obviously a much better conspirator than any of these people. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, that's another thing is they really underestimated Griffith. And I know that's super obvious at this point. Like, you know, readers know that at this point, obviously. But it's just interesting that they assumed that Griffith only knew how to be a strategist on the battlefield. When actually he's more adept than they are at plotting when it comes to, you know, being off the battlefield as well. I believe the revelation we're going to get is, you know, it's like, when did you know? It's like, oh, I did it. I mean, I knew you were going to betray me at some point. So I just, But even that's like just strategy, even if it's a lucky guess. Yeah. Well, it's a lucky guess, but yeah, at the same time, it's, you know, I would say almost obvious, you know, like if someone... Well, it's also, it's it's interesting to look at the chronology there, because it's like, you know, they had that moment where they stared at each other right before Griffith left. And so therefore Griffith knew as soon as he got back, he had to nip that in the bud. It was just a coincidence, you know, in a sense that they were planning, you know, this huge assassination of him yeah. at their celebration you know he you know he didn't know these details he was just taking the liberty of you know basically like oh yeah i gotta take care of this Foss guy yeah and you know i know he's gonna be involved in something against me that he was involved in the the julius attempt on me right yeah or, yeah so it's really a result of Foss tying everything together you know yeah he made, he made sure that happened and he picked he picked Foss well he chose Foss well yeah I, I think everyone sh- around him I think it shows that Griffiths is really good at recognizing people's talents and hot sets it's really ruthless you know? yeah. yeah it's not like Griffith was setting out to like you know because that's the thing I mean there's sort of a I don't know it's a like a bias in the way we see things where it's like how did Griffith figure out they were gonna assassinate it's like well no Griffith was just you know busy covering his bases and he happened to stumble upon this yeah, yeah I you know, think where it's, it's like it's, I mean, Go the ahead. thing is, he, let's say, he did it, you know, not, you know, not too soon, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, you know, he was right to do that when he did, but, you know, he might not have done that, done it that early, you know, but, you know, good for him that he did, because otherwise, yeah. you know, he might have missed it and be killed. This next exchange we have, uh, with, uh, Griffith and the Queen, told through walkie-talkie, I'm assuming, from this distance, <laughs> uh, he's, Full on femto mode, uh, with his facial expressions and his general, uh, interactions with her, which, which I love. It's a great foreshadowing to the, the man we know and love as femto later on in the series. And then he quickly turns on his heels, uh, when he talks to Foss and he's all cheery, you know. But yeah, well, I'm going a little too quick. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the overall tone of this scene and, the 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 stare at the through the page. I, I like you know I like how he unties his hair you know and lets it float yeah. in the wind you know like may, maybe that's what the cover refers to you know his hair floating like that I don't know but I like which you know it almost symbolizes the fact he's you know uh, wild and you know unruly like he's not you know like with his hair tied it's uh, proper and you know yeah. prim you know Griffiths yeah you know the, the ones that's playing noble but you know there it's you know the guy who's ready for anything. Yeah, that's Let a good his point. hair down for murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like he's showing her her his true self. You know, he's not yeah. he's not playing an act anymore. He can just be himself. Plus, it's also a, it's also a little nice dose of disrespect for her too, as he's giving it to her. You know, in every way, verbally, visually. You know, just yeah. basically telling her. You know, like yeah, you you suck, and I'm pretty cool. <laughs> you yeah. know, sorry, and you know you've lost. Yeah, you mean he really lectures her (laughs) about war and you know all this from a great great distance. Yeah, yet he's talking very calmly. Yeah, yeah. Foss is uh, the reveal with Foss. Foss is such a little guy, you know. (laughs) Fucking a, this guy's tiny. (laughs) Well, as we found out later, because Griffith looks very you know thin and everything, but he's actually at least the reincarnated uh, Griffith or the incarnated is. uh, 
He's quite tall. He's quite large. Well, he only looks small, you know, next to Guts. Next to Guts, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, you know, yeah, it's like, you know, being next to Grand Bell or something. This thing is so yeah. huge. You know, like, yeah, actually, it's one of the things. He's a, he's a six-footer, easily. Yeah, I'm totally digressing, but Locus is also pretty big, you know, like, he's pretty tall. Yeah. You know, he looks small next to Grand Bell, but that's because Grand Bell is fucking huge. I've, that's one thing, honestly, I've, I've never even paid attention to, the different character heights. Actually, well, I should. Heights in general. It's just something that always blows past me. Other than other than Guts is just really big. They always make sure to establish that. Sure, yeah. I like in this page, in this exchange between Foss and Griffith, how Griffith changes in his mind. And we see that on the page, the way Griffith is portrayed or drawn. You know, we get this like super scary looking, you know, shadow on the face. That side eye where yeah. he's asking him. You know, he's talking where he's discussing the murder of the queen, you know, and is that why you're nervous? And Well... Yeah, yeah, and, and also the um, the next page where he's his whole face is engulfed in shadow, and then we have this his eyes are like glowing from you know being so fearful. It's like oh, it's yeah. like we're seeing Foss's perspective of Griffith. Is is the way I, I took the way that's drawn? Like, yeah, I mean, we see him looking like you know, I mean, yeah, it's like out of a horror comic. This yeah. shot of him, the one where it's just you can see Griffith's eyes, but the rest of his face is sort of grayed out, and yeah. you know, it's just this horrifying look where he looks like you know a strangler or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. peering yeah. over you. Well, and uh, it's and also the shot of him at the bottom. He looks like an apostle. Yeah, or some kind of demon god or something. It looks yeah. like actually evil Ryu or something. It's, it's. I mean, it's it's a result of for a number of things. It's a backlighting. He's he's got flames behind him. That's why the shading is like. But also, like I said, I think it's to accentuate Foss's yeah. fear of this man. You know. Yeah, of course. The look in his eyes. You know, just the eyes. You know, it's what you know. How to say what you know uh, was imprinted in his mind. You know, it's that glare. You know. Yeah. Well, my favorite though is that when Foss is, you know, like saying it to the audience and to himself, you know, how you know horrifying Griffith is. You know, he—it's a shot of him looking sort of like a little girl. You know, he's smiling. Yeah. You know, and standing. You know, very proper in his uh, in his coat. And but that's yeah. the moment where it says, you know, this is a terrifying man. Yeah, and and I think it's like it's on purpose, you know. I I think Mira yeah. did it, you know, purposefully. Yeah, purposefully. It's supposed to be, you know, ironic that you know he's just just this terrifying, horrible. You know, he's a terrifying man, not because he looks, you know, frightening, but because of what he is, you know, on the inside. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that is fascinating. And we need we need to we need to reuse this image of uh, Foss at the bottom there. Shocked that Griffith is ripping up the the, the blood oath contract in the foreground. Yeah. We could use that for like banning somebody. We could just do <laughs> yeah, that. this is your this is your profile. <laughs> <laughs> I should use that in the future next time that opportunity arises. You can't beat me I and mean, my just, and just my quick pick at random. You know, just, we'll just draw straws. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, though, you're safe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's the lottery. So it's revealed that, you know, the weight that Griffith had or, or the fulcrum he used against Foss was his uh, granddaughter, daughter, I always forget, Fa- daughter, daughter. 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 Yeah. It's sure. just because Foss's age is, looks so nebulous to me. But yeah. It's also gets, weird to think of Foss having a wife and kids and being a normal guy because he just looks like his life is being a conspirator, like a gross yeah. little minister <laughs> causing trouble. Yeah. Well, that's actually you would interesting. think he wouldn't have time for, you know, those things. Yeah, it's actually interesting that Griffiths, you know, managed to dig up that, dig that up. You know, I, I think, you know, like, Foss probably keeps his family life, you know, in the background. Very and, private, yeah. Yeah, Griffiths was smart enough to, you know, you know, dig that up. You know, like, for all we know, for, you know, all we know, maybe 
you know, the girl is not even like, maybe he doesn't have a wife and she's a, a child he had, you know, outside of marriage yeah. or. It could be anything. And that's all he's got, you know, she doesn't look that, uh, that done up. But then, uh, she's got some pretty fancy clothes on for, cons- assuming she was just at home. We see, and, her, uh, we see her again in the newer, vol- later. Yeah, volume, of course. 34. She, she's the one leading the children, you know, when they have the, you know, the Falcon dream. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Elise. Uh, the conspirators, you know, we said before that the conspirators within a court were the most horrifying, gross-looking dudes, but... <laughs> but oh, yeah. And then these guys come around. The, you should meet the unknoble conspirators. <laughs> yeah. These they are the real deal, man. They, <laughs> they look like extras in, like, a side-scroller beat-em-up with their faces. They just look like fucking extras. You know, My favorite gross. might be the guy at the top whose face has no shape. It just, like, is sort of just a... It's yeah. like a raisin or something. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you see that guy's face uh, on the ground later on, and it, it retains its bulbousness, even decapitated. Yeah, it's it is funny that we uh, drew the ugliest guys in the entire series here, all all collected together, and, and guts wipes him out mostly because of that offense, not because they were. <laughs> yeah, he just thinks disgusting, too ugly to live. Another thing with the statues, you know, there's another weird like statue rape or something happening in the top corner of that page as well. I don't quite know what it is, but I don't it's, know if it's making that other little thing its thrall or if it's feeding on it. It's just I don't know. like it's a very uh, I bizarre. Think it's, yeah, I think it's supposed to be eating it up. I, I think that's a statue that actually inspired by something that exists. You know, huh. yeah, I think there's you know statues like that in Italy or something of the sort. It it's looks supposed like a Zora to be from uh, the Legend of Zelda. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's. Some, some kind of imaginary beast, you know. Mm. Either way, something preying on the weak, which is thematic for what's happening here as well, of course. I also like the conspirators, you know, already planning to blackmail. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're so dumb. And, and I mean, you just imagine them talking, and, yeah, and then later we'll blackmail him. <laughs> you know, this is yeah. the most evil little weaselly voices, but yeah, not to not to be. And Guts' uh, hat dipping over gives us a little one-eyed look of Guts before he, you know, takes his guys out off-page. See the bulbous head guy at the top there? Yeah. <laughs> and then we have this really great scene between uh, Guts and Griffith. Really, it's the last scene we see of them together like this uh, before everything goes south. It's it's really interesting. I always, I always read this, this scene back when I'm thinking about them as characters because it's just seeing them talk like this so casually, so friendly, kind of like the at the height of their friendship. And does it yeah. con- contrast that with now? It's just like worlds apart. You know, so much has happened between these two characters. But it there's gives- still a disconnect as uh, Griffith – you know, he's Guts is taking the money and Griffith, you know, does the very weird, you know, no, they earned it. Leave that money with them. And it's just, you know, he's like, what a waste, you know, this is. Yeah, totally. One, one thing I wanted to mention before uh, we got into that scene, and I apologize because I did advance the transition, but I wanted to say about how we talked about before about Griffith's strategy and, and making sure you know every end was kept, everything was self-contained, and so that it could it could appear as if it was a conspiracy outside of Griffith, so that it was you know two door rebels you know trying to you know uh, stand against the peace, but he kept all these little mo- moving parts uh, perfectly aligned. And it shows how far he had planned and executed this plan within, I'm assuming, a day of coming back from the front. You know, so we, totally masterful. But it also gives us such sharp contrast to how quickly everything unravels when he just makes one rash move with, with Charlotte. You know, in the, yeah. in the coming days. So 
uh, it's just amazing how this guy had everything together, everything so perfectly aligned, and then it just falls apart completely. Yeah. It really, I mean, it accentuates how much he's damaged by what's about to happen. You know, mentally. but again, you know, I mean, the thing is also that he was taking huge risks, you know, sure. like, like yeah. you know, all the time. So it's you know, like it's, uh, that's one case where. Yeah, he also took a huge risk and then it failed, you know, but like with this conspiracy, man, it was huge. Even, you know, the, the battle at Dordres, there was a lot of unknown, you know, he could have anything went wrong, you know, they would have been dead. So I think he just goes to show that, you know, things were meant to be like that. And it's a risk he took, you know, he could have banged Charlotte and, you know, be fine. But, you know, another mm-hmm. time. Well, yeah. I think he would have... uh he would have just waited, you know, for a while, you know, and romanced her. I mean, he had already gotten pretty much done what he needed to do. The queen was gone. I imagine the king would probably be next at some point. Yeah, yeah. somehow. And then, and then Charlotte would get, you know, would essentially be free to choose. Yeah, you know, she, she was already, she was already completely, you know, over yeah, it. So, 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 you know, it was, a, it was an unnecessary risk. It, you know, it, it wouldn't necessarily have hurt him if he had, you know, pulled it off. But, uh, yeah. There's this scene between Guts and Griffith, which I kind of jumped ahead to real quick. I also like visually how they're shown silhouetted uh, in the night with the fire in the distance and that one shot with yeah. the trees around framing them. It was really gorgeous. There's, you know, there's one thing we say, you know, Griffith ties up all, you know, every end and everything. There's one thing he leaves, it's fast, you know, but it's interesting yeah. that he's willing to take the risk, you know, with him and, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting and it goes to show that he was already planning, you know, having Foss as a, how to say, as a lackey, you know, yeah. or as an yeah. ally, you know, was, it's, it's a big deal because yeah, obviously this guy is pretty devious and he's got everything under his thumb. So yeah, you know, Griffiths was, you know, thinking even, you know, down to that point, you know, the future, you know, and yeah, if he, he would have had the kill, the king killed, you know, it would have probably been with the help of Foss, you know. Totally. Yeah. I, I meant, I was going to say something about that. But the way uh, – what, what brought it to mind was when Guts mentions it to Griffith and, and Griffith says, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it or, or something. That's a dark hole. Yeah. yeah. His translation is. But you know, I think that line, what he really meant was and if Foss ever does try to stab yeah. back, we'll get back to him then. Don't worry about yeah. it now. But yeah, yeah exactly, it, it did yeah. bring to mind – is he really saying that Foss is he, – he's considering Foss a future ally and, the, and, and he could put him to use later on? Either way, I, I think what happened was I think Griffith knew – how deeply he had scarred Foss and, and how yeah. ultimately he had dominated him here so that he had turned his loyalty completely. You know, I, yeah, I think that's the yeah. truth of the matter. Of all yeah, people, agree, Griffith yeah. understands, you know, having people in your, the palm of your hands, you yeah. know, better than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. One of the key things I wanted to focus on in this Guts and Griffith conversation, aside from how nice it is to see these two characters as friends, you know, once uh, for the final time, really, is... um when Griffith asks him, do you think I'm cruel? And, you know, Guts pauses for a moment and he, he answers dishonestly because we just saw him earlier at the ball think it was cruel to withhold it from the yeah. Falcons. And actually feeling bad himself about it, you know? Yeah. And I actually wondered, you know, why do you think it is that Guts answered that way? I mean, obviously, there's, there's, some, there's some obvious ways you could take that. You know, the one that I was was going to say was basically – you know, how do you stop this train? You know, he knows, he knows Griffith. This is the path Griffith took, you know, and even says that, says as much. But, you know, what, what could he possibly say? Why would he say it that? Why would he not tell him the truth? You know, I think it's to, very simply to avoid, you know, I'd say bruising his feelings, you know, and, uh, he, you know, like I think he knows, you know, what Guts wants, 
what uh, Griffiths wants. Mm-hmm. And he knows, you know, there's no other way. So it's actually pretty much what he tells him, actually. You know, like, you know, that's what you want, you know. There's only one way to get it, so, you know. There's no reason to, to ask about it. But I think, you know, ultimately it's to... Because he's his friend, you know, and he doesn't want to hurt his feelings. Sure. And also, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, but the fact that Griffith is asking him that is a, is a huge tell to where he is mentally. How much he relies on guts, you know. It doesn't need, need to be said, but, you know, this being a review, I wanted to say it. How important guts is to Griffith, you know, even though he doesn't acknowledge it until the end. I mean, yeah, he looks pretty needy, too, I mean, in this shot. When he's asking yeah. him, you yeah. know, he thinks he's a bad person, you know, and I mean... You know, Griffith really needs the validation from him and Guts, you know, nicely dismisses the whole thing, you know, and sort of sets him right. I think it's also hard for him, you know, in a way to be doing these things, you know, like secretly. Nobody knows, you know, he can share it with no one except Guts, you know, so it reinforces, you know, the, how to say, the need he has for him and his approval and his participation in these things since he's the one that's actually doing all the dirty work. We actually come back to the scene. It ends with them talking about uh, seeing Casca in a dress, like joking about, oh, it's something to see, you know, and I love that 100% yeah. black and white silhouette between the two. And I actually like that, you know, Gus, to the end, Gus is being the nice guy here, and, you know, he's, how to say, he's telling Griffiths to tell Casca she's nice in the dress, you know? Yeah. Because he knows he wouldn't, you know, say so otherwise, you know, it's like, you know, and Griffiths says so, and she's so happy, you know, to hear that, so... You know, I like that Guts is one who's trying, you know, he's pushing her to ask him for a dance. He's pushing him to to compliment her, you know, about how she looks, you know. He's really trying, you know, to, to make people happy, you know. He's barking up the wrong tree, though. <laughs> well, yeah, but he's, he's being a nice be a, guy. I know. Yeah, he's being a nice guy. But the scene ends, but we actually come back to the scene uh, with another flashback. Guts thinks to it, whatever he's talking to, to Judo about what happened that night and about how Griffith expressly told him not to tell uh, anybody about what the way things happened. Cause judo was beginning to have suspicions about how convenient it is that all these people, you know, died one by one, basically <laughs> all of Griffith's enemies are dead. <laughs> yeah. But, um, anyway, you know, Griffith returns and he gets this massive, uh, you know, joyous reunion with everyone with Casca, most of all, you know, embracing him. And everyone looking, uh, you know, embarrassed around Casca being so open with her feelings with Griffith. This is what it looks like. It's kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, Carcass is crying too. Yeah. I mean, they're That's all. That uh, is nice. Yeah. They've all lost it, you know. And then, yeah, it was only, uh, it looks like they're just embarrassed, you know, at the, the sort of embrace, you know. They're sort of, they think it's kind of cute too. Like, Rickard's covering his face. Yeah, like, I think he's, he's just, like, he's watching, you know. He's watching mom and dad kiss or something, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's too much, you know. Like too too much feelings, you know. Too many feelings, yeah. you know. And that scene ends with almost a similar, almost the exact same scenario where Guts is merely looking at the scene from a distance and then you know chooses yeah, to walk he's, away. He's detached himself. He's a little. He's become distant. Mm-hmm. Well, he's smiling still. He's enjoying. Yeah, he's the enjoying moment. it, but he's enjoying it. You know, he's he's looking at it. And he's not in it. He's not part of it. Yeah. yeah, he probably like to have le- he'd like to have leave his friends in a happy place. You know, he doesn't yeah. want to leave. He's ar- they're obviously in a fine spot. They're, they've made it for themselves. You know, this is, this is the time to make the exit. Of course, they wait a month, uh, probably to avoid suspicion. <laughs> but uh, also, you know, the the queen's funeral and there's this big gorgeous arrangement, and it, it kind of gives some um, uh, what's the word? Uh, talk about what ha- what's happening in the background. Uh, some narration. 
I like that we see the burned out tower, you know, uh, they, they, they show the remains of it with no rooftop now mm-hmm. whether for the time transition. I just thought it was a neat touch. Yeah. And also that the mercenaries are still sleeping with swords in their arms, even though they're not in the front lines anymore and that are small detail. Yeah. It's, it's not just guts, you know, who's, you know, yeah, who needs his weapon with him at all times. And, you know, Guts reflects on his armor and his broken sword before he just decides to leave it. And we see Casca holding it in the next volume. Obviously, it means a lot to her. Yeah. And Casca chases Guts down. Um, what I like it's about actually, this... It's actually interesting to see that she's reading a book, you know? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, it's a good call. Yeah, no, okay. People she's often literate. wonder about the literacy of the people and everything and, you know, whether Guts can read and stuff. And, you know, yeah, well, at least we know Casca's reading and she... Like, I don't think she would have had too much trouble, you know, adapting to a life far from the battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she only picked up the sword for, really, for, you know, it was the only choice she had at that point. Yeah, it was, you know, circumstances, you know, life. Yeah. She's, I mean, even though she is a warrior, she wasn't raised in the same way that Guts was, you know. Yeah, and she could be a good strategist, you know, I think, you know. And I like that Casca, you know, obviously, as we just said, she was reading a book when she sees Guts leaving and she runs out in her nightgown. Yeah. Uh, what I like about their d- discussion here is that, you know, Casca immediately appeals to, you know, his him leaving the group. You know, she doesn't actually talk about, you know, the true conflict here with her. She doesn't voice what's actually troubling her about him leaving. Of you course. Know, all that they'd achieved because she can't. She can't admit that to herself yet, that that's what her hesitation is, what her problem with him leaving is. And, uh, you know, uh, Carcass and Judo decide to take him for drinks while Casca immediately goes to Griffith, which changes the course of everything else, you know, bringing Griffith into this. You know, things might have gone off without a hitch. I honestly was wondering myself, if Guts had made a silent exit, would Griffith have sent a search party or would he have moved on? You know, I don't know, but it's a fanfic either way. So Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting, but I don't think, you know, Griffiths would have sent people after him. You yeah, know? same here. You know, that's, it's, you know, again, a case to show, you know, like it's a bit, you know, but, you know, when we think about the way the events, you know, unfolded, we can tell it's all planned. It's really all made to be as dramatic as possible. Like the rise was very, you know, quick and very high and the fall is, you know, likewise. And uh, it's all planned to be that way, you know. You know, if anything had been different, it might have happened completely differently. Yeah. This is a very, I mean, this is one of the more dense scenes because we get a, a lot of different things happen just in this little exchange here. For one, you get to see, you know, Carcass, you know, really living it up. <laughs> now that they've made it, now that they're on the path of success, he is just totally absorbing all of the praise and attention and favors that he can get, you know, trying to pick up his barmaid, putting everything on his tab, even though the bar guy's asking him about Yeah, he's Gordon. kind of a, he's kind of douchebag, actually, oh, you know, totally. honestly. Oh, yeah. he's, he's living it up. He's he He's worked his ass off his whole life. He is going to take this opportunity to fucking live up life now that he has the chance. Putting his feet on the table, kicking his back. I love all these little small mannerisms he has. Anyway, uh, we get a little bit about his background. We get a little bit about judo and his personal reflections. Guts talks more openly than he probably ever has apart from the bonfire of dreams. There's so much that happens just in like 12 or 13 pages or whatever it is. And it's just one of those scenes where uh, all the characters are, I mean, we're, we're learning so much about his characters all at once. Even yeah. uh, even Carcass, the way he opens up, yeah. you know, he, where he he is really like genuinely offended by uh, yeah by Gus' he, pretensions, you know, he can, like he can't understand it, you know. 
Yeah, well, it's it's polar it's polar opposite to to his ambitions. You know, it, it basically guts rejection of this life is a is a is a what's the word is a rejection of or it's a critique of Carcass's ambitions. You know, if yeah, this is all also, Carcass wants to do, like, like Judo explains, it's also because you know Carcass was once you know. Like, he had dreams of his own, he was a leader and such, but he's abandoned that altogether, you know, yeah. and the fact Guts, and I think, you know, deep down, Carcass knows Guts as a metal, you know, to to do it, you know, like, you know, it's that look, you know, he had as a, you know, after Dordre, you know, you know, when Casca thought Griffiths looked unreachable, you know, to Guts, he's not unreachable, you know, so, yeah, to him, it's different, and I think Carcass knows that, and he resents it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and, and noting about Carcass's background, maybe, maybe he had something like that is the way Judo talks about it. And they kind of just imply a little bit about his background before they'd encountered the Falcons. And the, his his dream, you know, like everyone else's in the bonfire of dreams, was absorbed by Griffiths. And so he lost his own personal dream at that point. And yeah. so he may, maybe he's he, he sees himself, some of his earlier self in Guts, and maybe that's also what turns him off. You know how when you see qualities of yourself and someone younger it can be kind of uh, like a turn off it kind of kind of gross some kind of part of you that sees a younger naive version of yourself you know i think i think there's some of that as well but also i think the the fundamental part of carcass's attitude is that guts position is a rejection of their lifestyle and and that he takes he takes offense to that basically i think also that it's you know he's ungrateful you know for, oh, yeah, for what yeah. they've accomplished sure which and is he doesn't funny. know what he's having. He's throwing it away on, you know, on a pipe dream, you know, essentially, you know, something that sounds good, but that's, you know, into his mind, at least, mm -hmm. meaningless. Yeah. But it's funny because I think, you know, uh, you know, like his, you know, reaction is not that unnatural, you know, it's, you know, the fact he just doesn't want to be Griffiths to look down, you know, upon him, you know, yeah. I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty natural, you know, but it goes to show that these guys really revere him, you know, like he's above them, and they, you know, they can't imagine it any other way. You know, like he's above every everyone else to them. Right. It's not just that guts can't stand looking down on him. He he says he wants to go. He wants to be by his side. He wants to, yeah. you know, and that's what the he's part equal. that is equal, yeah. right? And that's the part Carcass really takes uh, offense at, basically. Well, and again, it comes all back to that, you know, that the night at the fountain where guts overheard. You know, I mean, everything is so much, you know misunderstandings and people overhearing things and, you know, having misinterpretations of it, you know, where Guts, you know, wants to be his friend by being, you know, his equal. Right. And, you know, maybe if he hadn't have heard that, he wouldn't have a, he wouldn't be having this conflict. I like how both, you know, how humbly uh, Judo talks about himself, you know, ap almost apropos of nothing, but I appreciate the look into his own, his own perception of himself. Yeah. And, and he uh, just, he's just really changing the subject, you know, after yeah. he, uh, he mentions, you know, Carcass, and then he, you know, opens up about himself to Guts. I actually wondered about the transition uh, because of, of what he's getting at in that the panel where he's, you can see himself reflected in the knife. He says there's nobody who never wanted something. And that, that, come, that kind of is a punctuation mark for his scene from the transition from talking about Carcass and maybe there was something he wanted for himself before he starts talking yeah. about himself. And I wondered yeah. what he's implying with that line. And I, I th the first thing I thought of was Casca. Of course, it's a totally unvoiced part of his character until later later on. You know, I, I wonder if yeah. that's something he'd been secretly. Maybe he was talk talking about even right then. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean that's. Uh, 
I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what he's referring to, but that's at least part of it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it can at least be interpreted as that. We, we do know he wanted Casca. And, yeah. Uh, and he never dared, you know, approach her because he knew, like, you know, she didn't have eyes for him. Well, it's interesting because whenever he asking Guts about it, you know, in one, in one way, he's curious about Guts' stance before Guts leaves. And also, he's fishing for opportunity here, you know? He's wondering well, what Guts' feelings are for her, honestly. So. Well, actually, I don't know. I don't really see it as fishing. I kind of see him as being in the same position Guts is sort of in, or that mm-hmm. Guts thinks he's in, where he's like, you know, he's like telling him, why don't you take Casca with you? You know, why don't, you know, he's he's kind of trying to, you know, match make them a happy ending, because he, he's actually right that they should be together, whereas Guts is has the misunderstanding, you know, and is trying to nudge her towards Griffith. Yeah, I sort of see him being in, you know, in the same spot Guts is, although he's actually correct. Yeah, Gus doesn't they, realize is that, you know, he doesn't realize that Casca's you know, like he has changed, you know, at least you know Casca's yeah. perception. But you know, Judo is more perceptive, and he's seen her change from you know idolizing Griffiths to you know idolizing Griffiths and loving Guts. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He's the only character that recognizes Casca's change. Because Casca doesn't even really recognize yeah, it until, well, she, you know, until she voices it. I think that's also because, you know, like fittingly, he's the one secretly in love with her. So he's the one yeah. that's probably obsessed with her, you know, and, you know, Jose, he's probably overly, you know, Jose, attentive when it comes to her. And that's why he can perceive it while other people, even herself, you know, don't really realize it yet. Right. <clears throat> uh, we already talked about how it goes back to the scene in the forest where he tells them that he shouldn't tell the Falcons because they need to think that they need, he doesn't want them to think that they're getting this dream, you know, with dirty hands, basically. They should think That's that so they're always rising that up. That scene uh, pops up again during the eclipse to you know, yeah. justify Griffith's, you know, actions, you know, from Guts' point of view to give him the okay, essentially, from Guts. Like, yeah, go ahead. Sacrifice yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, the God hand used that little clip, you know, just drop that in there out of context. <laughs> Everything you do is fine. According like a to cable this. news organization of just, you know, manipulation. <laughs> and you yeah. Know, here you go. <laughs> I like this. Also, we get the little shot of the Falcons from the past, you know, with them all younger versions of themselves, you know, carcass and Casca, both as, you know, shorter hair, grew with an older armor, you know, all this stuff, really cool throwbacks to the earlier, earlier character designs. All while Judo is merely reflecting about Casca's, you know, feelings, which we already discussed, so. But also there's this moment where he asks her, asks him straight up, you know, so, and then he has this look on his face, uh, Judo has this look on his face, which is the face that Guts remembers after the eclipse, you know, the, the, his one takeaway from Judo. And, but ultimately deciding that right now, you know, Guts isn't really in a position to pursue anybody, so he's out in his own. But yeah, though, I've already discussed how I like the way that sh- that particular page is drawn, and also how it's you know uh, it's also a panel of, of of Griffith as well, while it also is guts. Yeah, it is. A, it's a very interesting way that like you know guts is sort of spilling over to that panel too. Yeah, it's really cool. yeah. Anyway, they arrive on the hill uh, right before the duel, and everyone has assembled, and uh, you know Rickard's pleading with them. There's this shot of Casca, a very stylized look as she looks at, she considers Guts sidelong. I wonder if that look is, first of all, she has conflicted feelings and also she's kind of hurt that Guts would be leaving without much of a, fa- a fanfare or a show, you know? I think it's also shame that in a sense she betrayed his, you know, she wished uh, she yeah. had told on him. You're right. That's probably, <laughs> you know? so she, that's probably the bigger point. Yeah. 
because Griffith does step from behind Pippin, which you know, why would he be hiding? Whatever. But Griffith <laughs> is also there, you know. Dun dun dun. He's <laughs> not the big reveal. Yeah. I mean, you know, everything is strategy with Griffith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If that were the case, he should position himself with the sun behind him, not next to him. Anyway, uh, I really like Gus' attitude here when he sees the opposition. You know, everyone, uh, Rickard's pleading with him to stop and Judo says, you know, this is inevitable. If they're going to have it out, they have to have it out. Um, I'm probably getting ahead. Yeah, you're I not am. even talking about, you know, Gorka's little no, no, bias, I was, you know. I was going to, I just, I wanted, to, if the panel I was talking about was further in and I was mistaken. So I wasn't trying to jump ahead. I just, Wrote it down wrong. Anyway, yeah, Cas- Carcass finally has it out with Guts. What I love about this, about while he's being completely honest about how he's always hated him and to watch watch your fucking <laughs> I, back. I, hang on, hang on. Damn it. He's sweating the whole time. He has sweat marks, <laughs> beads of sweat down. It's like yeah. like he's talking to his face, but he's also like, oh, fuck, better not kill me. <laughs> well, you know, he's yeah. like, there's that moment where he's like going, oh, he's trying to go chin to chin. You know, and Guts is just standing there perfectly stoically while, you know, Judo's embarrassed. Rickard is also just like, oh, my God. And and Corcus looks very unsure of himself. (laughs) Like he's challenging, you know, the big dog here. And it's like, you know, uh. (laughs) I wonder if he's not also even exaggerating a bit. He's worked up. Yeah, he's also, you know, he's, he's worked up and he's genuinely angry. Yeah, he's still pissed from earlier, you know. And you know what? I mean, also, yeah, I think a part of it is a cover for the fact that, you know, this this hurts him, too. You know, it insults him. You know, it's like yeah. it's, it's a rejection. It's a rejection of what they've accomplished. Yeah. Even, you know, Judo, you know, more nicely told Guts, you know, like it's it's this is very strange what you're doing, you know, leaving, you know, everything we've sort of fought for behind, you know, and giving up, you know, all the the fruits of uh, this labor. And so it's interesting, you know, that Carcass, you know, yeah, goes way too far <laughs> where he, he even says, you know, he was aiming for him on the battlefield sometimes, yeah. if I recall. Though it, it really shouldn't come as too much of a surprise for them that they had lived with Guts for three years. You know, when we first see Guts in this part of the Golden Age, he's he's turning down an offer to become basically the path of a knight to, mm-hmm. so that he can continue wandering the battlefield. And this yeah. is just a – even though there's more at stake in this, it's a continuation of that same attitude he had. You know, even though he is well, I different. I think he's also someone who's hard to read. Like, so even though they were with him all this time, I mean, it's hard. He doesn't really, you know. That's true. Yeah. Wear his feelings, yeah. you know, on his sleeve, you know. So it's like, it would, it's, it's just, it's a, it, objectively, it's weird for anybody to give up, you know, like this kind of status. And, you know, he's basically, you know, he's made, he's got it made. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because Evan Griffiths himself was pretty perceptive in general, I'd say, you know, and didn't see no it coming. no idea this is coming. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, also, like the the final shot we see of Carcass, kind of really stylized hate with his eyes, kind of you know, contorted in yeah, that way. Yeah, and his eyes are what you know Gus remembers of him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, that the final line in that little panel we're talking about is that you can never become Griffith, and then um, there's a shot of, of of Griffith himself, you know, after that, as, as if he's hearing these words and wondering what Guts had said, you know. Anyway, it's um, talking about. Gus is considering Casca and what Judo had just said, but then he walks past her, you know, and not acting, choosing again, his resolve is not to act on it, not to say anything, just to continue on. And then Griffith draws his sword as if he won't walk past us without a fight. Very stylized shot of Griffith uh, from a profile. Almost looks like Yoshitaka Amano art, the way the hair is drawn, the thin yeah. lines of everything. Yeah, I agree, actually. 
Uh, and Griffith suddenly is very cold and says, I thought I told you that you belong to me. He has a such shot of his, you know, saber, you know, that's pretty, you know, stylistic as well, you know, very curved. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. a lot of things like that. I mean, yeah, yeah the, the curve like the of going along. such shot, yeah. Yeah. The curve kind of going along, the way the angle of the of the sword is, or, or the, has the camera or the viewpoint is placed is very interesting. It accentuates the curve of the blade and also yeah. Griffith's lean stat, uh, figure. It looks very cool. Yeah. And, and everybody's this, shocked, you know, by this. Even, you know, even Carcass himself. Yeah. I also like how Guts, this is what I was trying to say earlier instead of jumping ahead, which was, you know, Gus tries to play it off, you know, like we can't get away with just uh, saying goodbye and then considers it seriously and then drops his bag. And then we have this really memorable, iconic shot of them, two page spread side by side, uh, is the, with the landscape, of course. Yeah. You know, one of the most dramatic shots we've seen in this part of the series. Yeah. And you know, and of course, the- then when Casca tries to, to get between them and stop it and, you know, Griffith just, you know, doesn't even say anything. He just looks, he looks wild. And she, angry, you know, he's flinging his sword up and then yeah, down. just like get yeah. yeah, get out of the way, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then Gus even says so, you know, with this dramatic look, bold look. Uh, during this whole part, we have this very, you know, Casca's also considering her own feelings here. Uh, as in judo, you know, kind of reiterates what he said to Guts, but we also get this very hyper realistic shot, a uh, hyper hyper stylized shot of. You know, Casca in the palms of Griffith's hands as, as the shell around her begins to crack. And also the two sides of Griffith as well. It's, I mean, this is a lot yeah. going on in that. It reminds me yeah. of that, of that Behirit shot, the, 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 the Behirit cracking with the skull and all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. And there's his hair too from the cover. It's very yeah. similar as well to that. It was very well thought out, uh, kind of, it's just a symbolic shot of the whole situation between them and how she is changing. And I can't remember where it is in the page, but as she, uh, Casca thinks, oh, it's later on. She says, do I want him to stay? Is that what my wish is? But we're, that's, that's further ahead. Yeah, I think it's later on. Yeah. It's hard to get through everybody's thoughts in here because it seems like it's, there, there's a lot. What's interesting is that she actually went, you know, as far as to bring Griffith into this only so that yeah. Gus would stay. So it's, you know, it's pretty telling of her own feelings, you know. Like she doesn't really. Give a she's shit. you know. I mean, she didn't know it, but you know, it's like she's put Griffith in danger too. Even yeah. you know, bringing him out here to fight, you know, the the most frightening swordsman in you know the entire yeah. world. She all she cares about is that gut stays, you know. <laughs> so right. that's you know, like her sense of priority has definitely shifted. What's also interesting is that Griffith completely you know fails at any sort of you know charm or charisma or even attempt to lightly, you know, talk him into, you know, why are you going? You know, we, you know, we, there's so much still to do. I still need you or, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's just, you know, he's just taken aback. He's not even, you know, really saying anything. And then when Guts just tries to walk past, he just draws his sword, you know. They really should have had a conversation about this, some kind of two weeks notice or something before (laughs) they went down to this situation. But obviously it's because... You know, Guts shouldn't have to. I mean, Guts wants to be his own guy, doesn't want to be under Griffith. He doesn't want Griffith's permission to leave, you know? You know, the crazy thing is that, you know, maybe Guts, maybe after a year or two, Guts would have come back, you know? Like, that's not even impossible. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, it's a, it's a critique for Griffith that he would even leave, try to try to leave, to become his own person, you know? 
Anyway, there's a, there's talk from Judo considering, you know, the likelihood of the outcome of the battle and, uh, he, he's you like know, the hype man for this fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really Car- is. Car- Carcass is just, you know, thrilled that, you know, you know, Guts is going to lose an arm or something, you know. Yeah. Car- and, Carcass is, sh- Judo oh, is not so yeah. sure. And you can see, you know, Casca's face, you know, disapprovingly looking, you know, when he says so, it's pretty funny. Yeah. I like how Judo really does. Um, I mean, he says they're equally matched, but I don't know. I think this is a, this is a one-sided fight before he even starts, given how much Griffith uh, has, Gus has been focused on the battlefield, and Griffith has had other focuses recently. Yeah, and Gus has, you know... He has in a mostly grown, you know. I mean, he's he's grown into a man, you know. But back when they first met, he was still, he was not, you know, at, at his full potential, and he's now. Right. Maybe yeah, they're actually... equally matched at sword skill, but guts is a hundred times stronger. So you know, that doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's also there's also the thing, you know, with you know the way you know what say. You know, even, even when they actually, you know, you know, when they actually fight, you know, the way Guts wins is, you know, it, it shows his technique is superior, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he just cuts right through his sword, you know, and also manages not to hurt him in the process. Like, the calculation for Guts is on a much higher level where, you know, Griffith is just trying to think of a way he can win at all. Right. Yeah. Where, whereas Guts is actually doing it where he makes sure he doesn't, you know, harm Griffith at the same time. Yep. And Casca reflects finally that, you know, is this what I want for him to stay? Which suddenly, you know, reverses what, where, where she thought she was emotionally. There's this look as I like, what, what I like most about the, these scenes is focusing on what's in Griffith's head because he is such a closed door so often. And so anytime we get to see inside of his head, it's, it's always, it's usually very revealing. And also like, you know, his perception of guts. This, this, this is bottom page. A uh, panel of guts determined, like this determined look on guts face, as if it's it's like his what he must be you know, envisioning guts to be in that moment. And he even reflects back to their, you know, the golden rule speech from volume three and four uh, or five in this in this scene. You know, thinking about their their good times together, and that's what he focuses on. And then finally, you know, determining that you know if he can't, oh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. The wild hair of, of Griffith in this in this scene is also you know emphasized. Uh, yeah, sorry. Griffith's analyzing the outcomes. I didn't skip too far ahead. You know, the, the potential outcomes of, of engagement, you know, either he'll, uh, this, this like, you know, fantasized picture of guts looking hurt, you know, getting, getting his shoulders, you know, through. cut in the shoulder. And then the one oh, where his head is getting sliced in half. Right. Yeah. I love the, 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 the as if moments for this fight having happened, you know, they've gone a different way. But it's also, you know, it's notable that Griffith was ready to kill him at this moment. At least he, he thinks he's ready. Or at least he to disregarded, kill him. you know, like he was not, you know. Yeah. He's not even thinking he might lose. You know? Yeah. Right. He doesn't finish his sentence. If I can't have him, then he may as well be dead, basically, or I don't care. What's well, also yeah, and- interesting the, how he analyzes, you know, how much guts has changed, you know, like uh, yeah. just the, and the fact that, you know, he can tell that he's, you know, really determined to go and not just, you know, conflicted about this or something like that. So he knows he has to, the only way he can stop him is to beat him. Yeah. Well, considering guts, speed and strength, and he, he puts, he puts everything into a simple, a one strike. He's thinking about the quickest way he can yeah. finish this fight. Cause he knows his sword won't assist it. This is, this is essentially like guts fighting Zod, you know, where yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you gotta, you gotta <laughs> win it with one sword stroke. 
Exactly. And I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, he thinks he's going to, you know, figure out a way to win, you know, because he always wins and he's never lost. And so it's it's interesting just how much this breaks him. You know, it isn't just he loses his friend, but it's like his friend, you know, suddenly is is dominant, you know, completely dominates him in this. You know, I mean, it's just revealed that, you know, like right. Guts is just so much better that he can not only beat Griffith, but do it without like, oh, you know, I made sure, you know, I only hurt your wrist a little. <laughs> like, sorry about that, buddy. And, you know. Yeah, just because obviously that's important to Griffith, you know, doing things, you know, as he said, by force, you know, dominating someone one way or another. And now, you know, Guts in every way has become dominant. Let's just look on Griffith's face as he realized his miscalculation, you know. <laughs> Probably the only time we ever see him like that in the whole series. You someone... see when the sword is coming down on his head and, you know. Yeah, the, yeah it's... I, I crapped my pants. <laughs> Look, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably someone who's never really experienced defeat before, at least not a defeat like this, you know. Also, yeah, and, and Guts, you know, looking at it, you know, what was the weight behind that stroke once it finally rests on his shoulder? I mean, there, it, it, it did cause, it causes a bruise. Uh, yeah, well, him. I mean, it, it, it gets the point across that, uh, well, he drops his sword. Just, he did just barely stop it, I think. Yeah. That, like, if he, if Guts wasn't so strong and wasn't, you know, thinking about it so much and concentrating so much, he would have like sliced right, you know, oh, Griffith's yeah. shoulder. through the entire chest yeah, he, cavity. He, as he, well. would have, he would have cut Griffith in half, you know, yeah. a little off center. So yeah. Well ahead of schedule though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he finally, you know, tells, says, Jana, goodbye. Uh, as Casca screams and we have another, you know, example of, these, you know, super emotionally focused, uh, character shots, Casca spread out across the sky as Griffith or Guts walks away. Then we have these super, you know, uh, hatch marked, drawn, stylistic looking, uh, depictions of Guts and Griffith as he's thinking this is just a, a stone in the road and you'll get back up from this. Of course. It's almost like happened. instantly nostalgic, you know, uh, the way yeah. it's done, uh, this moment. I took it to mean the way he's doing that is it's like it's like Mira's underlining or underscoring the importance of that moment. You yeah. know, Guts walking away. Yeah, I just that's also the shot. This is a big moment. Yeah, like I said uh, at the beginning, this is a shot that opens the volume actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He does that sometimes uh, with those opening shots. Sometimes just kind of highlighting the theme of, of a volume. That is cool. I wish the vol. I wish the volume covers, especially more recently, reflect, <laughs> reflected that you know forethought uh, in the design. Hey, of- they do, man! It shows him fighting a sea monster. You know. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's volume eight, guys. Uh, I know it was a long one. Thanks for sticking around for it, but it's one of the more important volumes, I think. I know it's really weird. It was. I found it very hard to analyze the duel, just because it's like it's three episodes of like thoughts basically just you know people looking at each other and thinking you know it's hard to you know there isn't like a there's there isn't a lot of action to sort of use as a a thread to you know like to follow the bouncing ball with well it's actually it's the only part of the volume i didn't take notes on because i didn't i ran out of time so i probably would have given a little bit more thought into it had i had time but i think we did okay with that part of it azil i think you tuned out at some point you got to go somewhere is what i take it no, no. Okay. I'm still there. Falling asleep. You guys just not letting <laughs> me speak, so. Yeah. You just got to butt in there, man. No, it's fine. That is the episode. Um, 
Griff, if you had time, I wanted to talk about Dark Souls 2. I wanted to kick a zeal off because he hasn't quite played that yet. Yeah, well, I, I, I am gonna. Yeah, I got other things to do. You know, I'm a patient man, so. <laughs> and it's I not would... as patient as me. I mean, I never, I'm still being patient with Dark Souls 1. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm being patient with Dark Souls 2. I, I've got to play, you know, the DLC of, of, you know, Dark Souls, you know, before I get to Dark Souls 2, so. Why don't you just skip the whole game like I did? Well, you know, it's <laughs> disgusting. It's, uh, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> so right. yeah, I guess I, I guess I'll tune out now. All right, guys, thanks for joining us, and we'll be back on the other side with Dark Souls Two talk. Dark Souls chat. This is one thing I've probably wanted to do for, I don't know, two years or so. Yeah, you've been waiting years for this, so and, yeah. and now Az isn't ready. And now Az can't join us, and actually I have zero preparation, so instead of talking about how awesome Dark Souls is and how the lore is so cool and the world design is so great. We're going to talk about how Dark Souls 2 doesn't have that much lore. We're going to talk about Dark Souls 2. <laughs> brief impressions. So, like, yeah, Griff and I started playing around the same time. I think you got a little bit of a head start, but I think – it feels like we're around the same part, I feel. I think – well, I think I've played like 25 more hours than you, but yeah. we're at the same place. <laughs> well, know, I so. mean anytime you start Dark Souls is new, there's a large learning curve that anybody yeah. goes through. So it's totally – it makes sense that that's the case. I, I think I'm like 30 hours in. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. I'm like – I am I might be 60. Jesus. But, okay. uh, yeah, but, uh, so I've been – I feel like I'm about halfway through. I would say I'm about halfway, just given the things that have been happening and, and the fact that I've gone through seven or eight zones. I feel like I've feel like the halfway point or so. Huh? I feel like I've been through more zones, but I haven't been through some of the you know significant ones yet. I feel like sure. I'm still waiting for things to take off. Some things I'm just I'm going back and rediscovering like things that I missed yeah. the first time. How to complete certain zones. Like No Man's Wharf, I did pretty early, but didn't figure out to ring the bell for the ship because I didn't light the the torch, so I never saw the switch. Stuff like that. And then, of course, the boss was very underwhelming. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so, guys, for anybody still listening, there's going to be spoilers just for the first half of the game. <laughs> yeah, we should probably mention that. So if you haven't played Dark Souls 2 or if you have interest to or you care about spoilers like that, then, you know, walk away now. There's, there's monsters in it. Spoiler alert. There's, there's monsters and there's a bell. So big monsters you're gonna fight. Yeah, so that, that, you, that part of No Man's Wharf, I actually kept skipping past the stairs that lead up because I was going through the buildings and there's, there's a set yeah. of stairs between the buildings that I wasn't even paying attention to. So I was wandering around looking for how do I advance and then I Yeah, I'm looking for like a big door or a yeah. cave or something, and instead it's like it's a little switch, you know, that's in the dark yeah. on a pole that you wouldn't even see. I just say, Is that a bell with a switch? And then I ring it and the, the ship rolls yeah. up and it's like Oh, and then the enemy on there, that was like the lamest boss in the oh, game, man. I think, thus far. He was, well, I was overpowered when I fought him, for one thing, but also it was like, he was sort of an over, like, glorified regular enemy, which was confirmed, because enemy, yeah. then I ran into him later as a regular enemy, and I was like, oh, yeah, no wonder you're not that impressive. Yeah, I mean, Dark Souls does that sometimes. In the last game, they had... One guy was a boss and named health bar everything at the bottom, and then you kind of run later on. That happens a couple times, but I feel like the boss version is always slightly more powerful, slightly bigger health. This but, one yeah. was actually easier. I felt like but, because you had a pillar in the way during the fight. Oh yeah, that, that like he couldn't. 
He couldn't even touch you. Yeah, that was that actually started a series of boss fights where I beat them on the very first try. I think I beat the yeah. next like four or five bosses without even really sweating anything. Well, I don't know. Have you been to the shaded uh, – what is it? The shaded temple or woods or whatever? I can't make progress through it yet. It says go back. You need more souls or you need the king's seal. I don't have oh, those things yet. I'm talking about uh, – but if you go into the fog. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it, that's where you got that message? Which okay, when the Shaded Grove is like uh, there's four, there's the guys with like poison, right? The big fat guys with this in the distended stomachs, that area. Yeah, those weird, disgusting looking guys. guys. With the descent. Yeah, and then there's 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 like three paths, and one of them leads to a door that says "Get more powerful souls." Yeah. but if you go the other way into the there's this fog forest where you literally can't see where you're going, and there's monsters. Oh no, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't gone. I haven't found that. Go shit. back to the bonfire, like that's like. Yeah, the, I, sort of in the middle there, uh-huh. and yeah, uh-huh. you can. There's another area you can go to. Oh, uh, whoops! Yeah, I, I thought that area split to two. One leads to the king's door, and the other one leads to the the soul's door. And I can't. get Yeah, that yeah, the there, king's so. door. I don't have the the ring for either, or whatever yeah. symbol you need. Right. I only know it's a ring, I think, because I was reading, you know, little postings on the ground from are you, those useful, right. helpful people, which more often than not, they are helpful. Yeah. Or obviously not helpful when it's like try jumping on the edge of a cliff, you know. Some of them, I don't, I don't like that they, I mean, I, I like reading them too. I don't read all of them, but I read them every now Praise and then. Praise the sun! Uh, that, those always make me laugh. That's a, that's a thing from the last game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes they, I wish they wouldn't spell it out so clearly. Like, before you even get to the door, it says, need ring! Like, uh, yeah. I wish I didn't know that actually, but thanks, you know. No, I actually, I wish they would be more specific. <laughs> Give me oh, some more heads. Tell me exactly what's going to happen. Quit being so damn cryptic. Yeah. Secret path ahead. I need you to put this right in front of where the secret path is, you know, sure. and say hit here. Push the A button, you know, <laughs> like for this one. There's a so, this game. I mean, like as far as like I guess I haven't said my general impressions. Like I, I like the game a lot. It doesn't do. It doesn't hit quite the same buttons for me in terms of the the lore and the world design. I think Dark Souls what's, One. What's funny is that I got that just from the opening cutscene, mm-hmm. yeah. where you know yeah. the you know in the opening of Dark Souls, it like immediately thrusts you into this world and makes it seem like wow, important and look at all this lore and mythology. They just they immediately introduce that. Whereas this one, it's just sort of like you're your guy and you're going somewhere, and you know. There hasn't been much more. In the opening of Dark Souls, you're you're told this ancient conflict between dragons and gods, basically. And you see- And it covers all the curse stuff, too, pretty well. Yeah. And so you- but those those gods and those personalities are referenced through different things the entire game. And then in this game, the opening scene is just like an elaborate, you're cursed, and it sucks to be cursed- it doesn't really they, give they, you anything. They did it like, yeah, they did it in one line in the first game's cutscene yeah. where it's like, oh yeah, and the cursed. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't bad. establish any like history of the world or anything, any kind of scenario other than that you're cursed and you ended up at things betwixt. So and, uh, there's a little bit of lore in terms of like you can see some of the similar personalities. Like King Vendrick seems to be effectively the parallel to, to Gwyn in this game. But there's not. I don't even know anything you're saying right now. I'm <laughs> totally. It's not. A, it's not a spoiler. I mean, you, you see references to Vendrick and armor things like throughout the whole game from the very beginning. I know, but it's just that I, you know, I guess I'm not paying close enough attention to that stuff. Sure. I didn't think it was spoilers. It's just stuff where it's like it's not on my radar. Like, I sure. mean, I'm, I'm just. I guess I'm focusing on the exploration and the fighting. Okay. Even in the the short time I played Dark Souls, I did feel like the world was a little bit better 
connected in there. Maybe I'm just yeah. biased. No, no, no. It's it, the way they connect in this game is really superficial and like kind of boring it, and obvious. It is more like zones. Yeah, like, like it's, going to... it's it really it's like straight paths basically. You know, you got a straight path this way and this way and this way, and maybe there's a warp zone in one that connects with the other, but that doesn't connect organically. I mean, that doesn't detract from the actual design of the zones themselves. It's just like I I like that interconnectivity. The idea that these yeah. are all part of one big world is missing in this game. And um, like an example of how a zone would connect in Dark Souls One is like. You'd break open a door or you'd find an elevator and then realize or, – or you could even see see across to where the zone is and see how it relates to where you are. And it makes sense like geographically. In this game, yeah. with No Man's Wharf, after you beat the boss and you, you – Yeah. You get to, I was very disappointed to take the ship to the place I'd already yeah, been. Yeah, you know, totally, totally empty. anticlimactic. I was like, oh, great. So I go to the place that was a dead end previously – now it goes to a place I've already beaten, so I don't need to be here. Great. Where's my fucking bonfire so I can warp out of here? It did nothing for me, you know? So, I mean, I, I don't really know. There's a lot of things like that that happened where I wasn't quite pleased with how the things interacted. It wasn't very meaningful. It wasn't like you're suddenly in a newer, bigger part of the game. You just yeah. – and another, you know – armpit of a level you've already been in basically. it doesn't feel like the world is even though i found all these extra paths and stuff it doesn't feel like the world is opening up per se it's just right. that it's like okay i gotta find another another zone i gotta find the next level i gotta find the next painting yeah. in princess peach's castle to jump into yep. in mario 64 that was the comparison you had right off the bat which is sort of stuck with me we're like it is a little bit like that They're, they've got the hub town mm-hmm. and you know and then you make your way Either through bonfires or uh, through little excursions, but you know you don't really have to go too far. But the world design itself, aside, and the, and the fact that the lore isn't a as interesting so far, and b as overt about what the story actually is. Those aside, I think the playing of this game is so much more fun than Dark Souls for a variety of reasons. I mean. One, like the actual combat is much more fluid. There's more weight to what you do. In Dark Souls, it was like you were executing pre-planned attacks, sort of. Like you had a set animation length. And you do in this game too, but that animation can be interrupted basically by an enemy hit. Yeah. All these subtle things like that. That Also, we- I mean, I think I remember last time the bodies, you know, yours and the enemies. I mean, there was a lot, it was a lot more ragdoll. Yeah. Well, they, but, yeah, but Ragdoll was certainly turned on whenever you, whenever you killed someone, their bodies on the ground, you can like flopping and flying around and yeah. you run over them and they go, they, it's like they're a bunch of clothes or something you're running through. Yeah. There's none of that anymore. So it was a little more realistic in terms of how it, the, all the characters animate and the weight of everything makes a little more sense. But yeah, it's just, I mean, just quite simply, you know, the, the minute to minute gameplay is more fun. I'm having more fun doing the day to day stuff. The trouble is, if you have too much fun, enemies start disappearing, which is yeah. In one in one sense, I understand why they did that because it can get frustrating if you're beating your head against a wall fifteen times. Well, at the same time, it also makes it where well, they disappear when you yeah, if you've killed the guy twenty times, you're tired of doing it. Yeah, but at that point, you're probably pretty good at it. And oh, also, yeah. I guess it's it's also a challenge thing in the sense that you can't grind. Yeah, you, exactly. Like, like, it, it only goes so far. That was always my counterpoint. If someone said Dark Souls is so hard, I can't believe I lost ten thousand souls. Like, well, just go grind for an hour or so. You'll have him back, yeah, and you'll be, you'll be better. Back. And you'll be better at playing the game at that point as well because you've practiced. So you never really lose anything. Finite. Yeah. Yeah. So now you lose ten thousand souls, and you can't go back and grind to the area you're familiar with. 
you got to go in a new area and grind and learn their pattern. So it's more challenging in a way because it takes away from that endless. There's, yeah, there's, it's it's different. And there's a different balance there. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm really enjoying the actual playing of the game. Uh, I shouldn't be at the point I am at the game, which is kind of starved for where to go next. And you just pointed out to a, me a, a pocket of a zone that I missed. So that's, I need to go back that's the biggest that. challenge to me, even more than even the bosses at this point. My guy is like level 100. I've forgotten, you know, he's nice. pretty overpowered for any of the regular enemies. And, you know, obviously anything can still kill you. I got killed by some stupid looking lizard the other day, like a really stupid looking one. Like, it <laughs> big, like I don't know if you've seen one of these things with the, yeah, you have the big bug eyes. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. yeah those, those, um, I can't remember the name of it, but I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think I met their dad, and uh, oh. so they're just there's just things like uh, where you know you're you're pretty much just sort of grinding in the sense that it's like you're going across every wall, you're retracing all your steps, you're looking for like, well, where am I supposed to go next? You know, when that's that's sort of the biggest challenge to me right now too. I'm looking for looking for new bosses to fight, looking for things to you know. Looking for where the the plot is sort of going because so far there really hasn't been anything and I've cleared, you know, yeah, I've got like I filled up like now I have to scroll down on my bonfire to the different mm-hmm. zones. Oh wow, yeah, and I'm not like, quite to that point yet. Yeah, and it's just it just there isn't a lot of direction. Yeah, yeah, I mean I agree. Even at this point in Dark Souls, you at least got some narration in terms of a, an, an NPC laying things out to you. The NPCs here seem really self-absorbed. I don't mean that like as a critique. They don't want anything to do with you for the most part. Yeah. like They they don't really tell the story of the world or most of them don't. They're just telling their own story, which is interesting in a way, but I kind of want to know what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) Yeah. Which I I figured the game supposed to be feeling about it. Yeah. I mean, in dark souls, you eventually got to that point where things became a little bit more clear as the world began to be a little more clear about what you're supposed to be doing. At some point, it's spelled out for you. Like straight up, an NPC tells you straight up what you're supposed to be doing. I haven't quite gotten that in Dark Souls 2. Not that I want someone to tell me exactly what to do. I just want to get a better sense of the world because I don't have that yet. And I'm 30 hours in. And that's like a weird disconnect for me. But yeah, I can't critique that too much because that was my initial concern with Dark Souls 1. I ended up liking the way the game did that. So I feel like maybe I'll reach a point or a revelation where I appreciated being in the dark this long, I'm just not there yet, you know? Yeah. But uh, I'm guessing there's a lot more to the game. I've actually heard uh, it said that the way Dark Souls 1 works in terms of its balance of quality, the latter half of the game is not nearly as good as the first half. I've heard Dark Souls 2 numerous times described as the inverse. The beginning, not very great. The last half is probably the best part of the game. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't quite know what that means. I don't know if that in terms of you know story or zone quality or I don't really yeah, or know bosses or yeah. Uh, I did one big goof the other day. Have you put a use to boss souls yet? Have you found a way to use them yet? Uh, I I read up on what you can do with them actually. I so. I, I accidentally spent one because there's a, there's a there's a point where you get where you can choose multiple uses for one soul and it's only one soul you have. You can make this one soul into this this or this. And yeah. without reading the full lineup, I said, oh, I want that. And then I kept reading and I was like, then there's a bow. And I was like, oh, fuck. I want that bow. Fuck. I already spent the soul. Shit. Well, <laughs> it's gone now. I have to play New Game Plus to get that soul again. 
But actually, I, I realized the other day that you can actually use an item to replenish enemies in the area, to restore everyone in that area from a, from around a bonfire. Oh, really? Yeah, I have one of those items. You, you probably have it at this point too. I can't remember the What's name. What's it called? Of it. I can't remember the name of it, but it's it's orange. It looks like uh, kind of like a lit match. as an orange. And will it restore the it. boss as well? It will. Yeah. Oh wow! So I could feasibly go back and get the soul that I want. But it's a really lame area. It's Heidi's Tower of Flame. I don't feel like reviving those assholes. So yeah, they're glad they're dead. Yeah, I'm glad they're dead. Although at this point, like they're pushing those. Yeah, yeah. I've I've already minced made mince me. Actually, we returned to that area to fight the old Dragon Slayer who I had missed the first time through that area, um, and mopped the floor with them on one try. <laughs> so anyway, um. I'm liking it. I, I I am not quite as in love as I am with Dark Souls One, but I, I knew that was going to be the case because it's not the same first time experience. But I mean, this, I think actually, from what I've read, this is going to sound weird coming off of what I just said, but I think that the game is actually underrated in a lot of ways in terms of how it's designed. They're really smart about the way they make you progress and level. Have you gotten to um, the gutter yet? Oh yeah, I'm past the the gutter and the and beyond. What did you think of that area? That area was really, uh, really weird. Uh, you, let me make sure we're talking about the same place where it's all dark and you and know there's you're things that spit at you constantly. The statues. Yeah, there's the things spitting and the zombie guys and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That area was interesting. Uh, yeah, it was really creepy actually. Some of it was you know actually pretty scary. I mean, most of the music was just like sort of like it's full the, it's, heartbeat noises. Oh, totally. Yeah, the, the same the heartbeat the whole time. That, that's the only area of the game that I've actually felt like I was in Dark Souls 1 again, because you actually, every, around, it was so dark that around every corner you could get fucked, or you'll get forced off of a side because the ledges are so narrow, or you could fall through, yeah. through the ground. There's all these pitfalls, and there's not enough of that in this game. There's not enough of, you know, outright terror at losing your life once more, or falling off a cliff while trying to retrieve your souls, and you get nothing. It's almost too know. well designed. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing I was gonna say was, what the gutter does is actually, to understand why I think this is so great, you have to have played Dark Souls 1. It actually com- combines two different areas of Dark Souls 1 into one. In Dark Souls 1, there's an area where it's super dark. And there's another area where there's poison and everything's built on fucking like crutches, basically. This yeah. is both of those treacherous things in one level. So it's like immediately more terrifying than either of those things apart. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. It's a little bit, they kind of go out of their way to make it challenging sometimes, which bothers me. But I appreciate it at that point because I was beginning to think part of the zone design was a little too easy, a little too easy to overcome a lot of times. Yeah. And a lot of times the challenge was mostly just kind of punctuation mark with the boss at the end of the battle you know, of, the, of the level. So that changed it for me. Hmm. Um, did you get past oh, yeah, that? What did boss? you think of that? What did you think of that boss? Yeah, the, we're talking yeah. about the rotten. Yeah, I uh he gave me the most trouble so far. And but I had to switch to dual wield in order to beat him. Like what? I had to I had to get rid of my shield cuz I found it to be just worthless. I had to I oh, wasn't yeah. using it and so I needed I went with uh yeah, my shimitar on one hand and the rapier in the other cuz uh, the rapier was really good for just rolling in and like doing stabs and then getting out cuz you got a lot of range with that actually. Yeah, I beat him with just the rapier actually. Ah. I didn't dual hand. I just I, – I had my shield equipped, but I wasn't using it. I just was rolling the whole time. Yeah. I, I just had to learn his moveset. But he would he would one-shot me most of the early attempts. Like I would walk in there, 
fresh from being poisoned, trying to drop an Estus and then get <laughs> one shot it, you know, and it was very frustrating having to run through that gauntlet of fucking poison nonsense every single time. Well, did you I, use the bonfire, the, the hidden bonfire? Uh, which hidden bonfire? There's one like that's behind, that's like pretty much right by the boss door. Oh no, I didn't know there was one there. Shit. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like, uh, that would have yeah. been nice. <laughs> it would have yeah. saved me 30 minutes of pain. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Cause yeah. Uh, I would, yeah, I ran wow. through. I just I just ran through the whole thing. Probably. Did you ever get eaten by one of those monsters in the black pools? Like it just came up and like yeah. bit your head off. Yeah, yeah, that was two or that three was times. Fun. That two was fun times. the first time it happened. I actually farmed Titanite from those guys. Oh shit! I need to do that. I'll go back yeah. there and do that. Even though I hate that area. Um, actually, I summoned help uh, at one point because I was so frustrated, and the guy that came died immediately off of being <laughs> yeah, eaten by those things, and I was like, well. Glad there I goes my it. human effigy, you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. No, that's but, always fun when it's like you summon someone. It's like, oh no, they know less what they're doing than I do. <laughs> this is not good. Yeah. Uh, but um, I you like, know what? I always you, a funny thing about summoning help is sort of the mentality where it's like I'll feel guilty that I summoned help and I'll try to go out of my way to like be helpful. Even though it's like I should really just stay away and try to stay alive so that they can kill the boss and we can all get the souls because, you know, there's yeah. no Because I'll, I'll try to, you know, like, oh, I'm not just some weenie that's summoning for help and isn't going to fight. I'll get killed in the most stupid way possible. And then it's like I really should have just hung back. They probably would have preferred that too. They just want the souls. They don't care if I, you know. Yeah. I mean they want me to do my part, but, you know, don't go out of your way to show, you know, to be brave. It's a good point, and I actually think what you're saying is part of the part of the reason I think summoning help is like design wise a little broken because it doesn't really coalesce with all the other elements in the game about challenge. And suddenly yeah. you can make a friend come and help you, and you feel guilty because suddenly it's apart from every other you're element. You're cheating, in the game. yeah. You know, yeah. it's like. But, but at uh, the yeah, same I'm, time, I've had I'm, some pretty fun moments where it was just me and like someone else, particularly when we were fighting the oh my the my worst boss by far for some reason I don't know why it was the sentinels, the the oh, yeah? three sentinels in the in the Bastille, like nothing else is giving me as much trouble as them, and I was I wasted so many effigies summoning people, and it really ended up just being you know working out when it was just me and one other guy where we could you know where we basically you know learned how to work in tandem to split them up and then uh yeah wear them down and then it was it was you know the cooperation done right it was a little easier for me only because i have experience fighting there's, there's, a, there's a couple dual bosses in uh dark souls one where you're fighting two enemies at once and once you learn kind of like the way the game works in terms of fighting two at once it's a little easier to manage uh but we, yeah it's a, it's a there's a huge learning curve in terms of being comfortable with your move set while also learning when the openings are where you can both attack and retreat and heal when two people are attacking you, or three. So it takes some getting used to. But uh, I've done it enough times that it wasn't that difficult. I actually managed it. So I killed the first Ruin Sentinel on the ledge. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you eventually have to face two at once. And But I noticed that they'll, they'll take turns attacking. But basically... After one attacks and he's like recovering from that attack, you can wail on him while his partner's like, "Oh, yeah. this sucks! I'm still gonna hang back here for a minute and let you take a breath," you know. So uh, once you learn that, you can just kind of take turns. Well, so overall, your impression pretty good. I like it a lot. Um, I, I would say I'm in love with it, but I it's not quite the same. 
is the first Have time. You, you should listen to the Zero Punctuation review of it, actually, along okay. with Dark Souls, because he, he, you know, they're one of the few games he actually likes. Yeah. And he, and he gives it a fair shake, and he actually, I think you might agree with his sentiment, so if you haven't watched it already. Yeah, I'll check it out. It's, it's hard to tell if he ever likes anything, because even if he loves something, he always gives it, like, that derisive tone in his voice, you know? It's yeah. Like, so. We actually first points out that he just played Dark Souls and loved it, so it's gonna. So he's how can he give Dark Souls to a fair shake? Because he's just gonna be comparing it, you know, the whole yeah. time. He's disappointed because you know, it's you know, it's gonna because of how it's different and because he just you know loved the yeah. first. So. That, that's what I was telling Azil was I think there are actually parts of Dark Souls two that are kind of underrated because people are immediately comparing it to Dark Souls one because it's inevitable, yeah. it's a sequel. But I think it's somehow parts of it are better than Dark Souls one. You just—it's hard to really separate your mind from the first one. Yeah. Anyway, I'm—I'm I'm certainly going to finish it. It's, uh, I just haven't really—I mean, I haven't been able to play it the past two days, so I hope to play it tonight. Get a little. Yeah, further. I think I'll definitely—I'll get it done, but it'll just happen when it happens. Yeah, I wish I'd made a little bit more progress early on. I would have been closer to the end. I kind of hit a brick wall in my progress, and uh, I, I need to get back on the horse, basically. Yeah. Anyway, I got a split, but thanks for yeah, sticking around too. so long, man. Yeah, no problem. And guys, we'll be back whenever uh, the next episode is out. So see you later. All right, bye.